What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Bobby Gibson. I'm Josh Creed. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champions. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chickens. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your labrum and you can go on the... You know what? <laughs> it's only a game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hard run pitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer... To the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. We are live from the University of Akron, ladies and gentlemen from Northeast Ohio and beyond. This is the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is Sports Power Talk. My name is Jake Murray, and your favorite Baker Mayfield supporter. I'm not done saying it. I'm never going to be done saying it, and I'm back as your host. Joining me today are two of my analysts. First, he is a Zips enthusiast. The verdict is still out on if Thursday night was the best night of his life. It's Pat Weber. Let's go, Zips. And second, he never provides a dull moment on SPT. He's the always entertaining NFL, NBA, and MLB widow, Marcus Anderson. What's up? It's been exciting. College football week one is going to be even better NFL week one. Can't wait. Exactly. It is a great time to be a sports fan. The last week of August can be a busy week in the sports world, but this past week was something special. Breaking news on Tuesday and Wednesday don't even feel relevant anymore, but don't worry. We will try our very best to cover it all in the next two hours. At noon, we'll discuss the blockbuster trade that the Cleveland Cavaliers made with the Utah Jazz to acquire Donovan Mitchell. We'll also answer our hot mic questions in that segment as well, which is something you don't want to miss because we had a great time the last time Marcus was answering your questions. After that, we'll end the show by talking about Major League Baseball and the Cleveland Guardians, who might have a tougher road to the postseason than we originally expected. But first, we'll kick off today's program by talking about football for an hour, starting with the return of college football. And there's no better way to start than with a celebration by talking about our 1-0 football team, Pats, in the Akron Zips. They, of course, beat St. Francis 30-23 to in overtime after a game-winning interception by Tyson Durant. Before we hear from Coach Moorhead, Pat, was Thursday night indeed the best night of your life? It's got to be up there, I think. I mean, for at least one day, Akron was the only undefeated Division One collegiate program here in Ohio. So I can't complain. I had such a – that was just such a fun night. I mean, getting a chance to be in the atmosphere, we actually had a student section. We had two sections full of our students, which I don't think I've seen in my two years here. So getting a chance to see that, getting a chance to actually feel the energy in the atmosphere – it was good. And that was a Thursday night game, too. Yeah, so how how was the mind. crowd? 
It was really good. I won't lie yeah. to you. We had a good turnout. I think I saw the final turnout was around 9,000 on a Thursday night game, which considering the past few years and how we've been playing, that's pretty good. I think last year our busiest game was against Kent State, and I think we only had 10,000. So a random Thursday night game against a no-name school turned out 9,000 people. Let's keep it going when we play Bowling Green in about two weeks. Yeah, like you said, it wasn't like we were playing a team that had that high of a name, too. So that was an impressive number there for the Zips to draw on a Thursday night game. And let's hear from Coach Joe Moorhead. Here he is after the win over St. Francis. Stick with us right here on WZIP. No, uh, I think the first thing you have to do is you know, tip your hat and give credit to St. Francis and Coach Valerio and his staff and his players. You know, uh, we knew watching tape last year. Uh, that they were a good football team. You know, you see FCS versus FBS upsets happen uh, <laughs> all the time. Uh, we knew we had our work cut out. And, um, you know, our, our biggest thing heading into this season and into this game was to um, to define our response to adversity. And, uh, and there were plenty of opportunities there for us to hang our head and start pointing fingers and start complaining and kind of cash it in. And uh, our kids did not. They stuck together. They fought. They scratched. They clawed. Uh, got into overtime, and then found a way to win on the last play of the game. So not pretty by any means. Certainly uh, you know, not a finished product, but at the end of the day, we got one in the left column and something to build on. That was Coach Joe Moorhead on the win Thursday night. Guys, what did you think of his coaching debut for the Zips? Honestly, I love Coach Moorhead. Obviously, I'm a big fan of the Zips. A little bit underwhelming, but you know, like he said, St. Francis, they are a pretty good program. I mean, if you look at their stats, they've never beat a Division One program in their time, but they have come very close multiple times, especially against us. But, you know, like Coach Moore had said, there were multiple times where we could have sunk back into the old Akron Zips under Tom Arth, where we could have just given up, kind of thrown the game away. But we didn't. We stuck in there, and I think having him as a coach kind of helped glue this team together and make it stick because, you know, in the past we would have watched this team the minute we would have given up a lead, it would, they would have just crumbled. We would have never seen a lead or a tie from that point on, and we stuck in there, we fought, and ultimately we came away with a very well-earned win. Yeah, absolutely. Marcus, what did you think of Joe Moorhead in his first game for the Zips and his first win? Uh, I, I recognize a lot of changes he did with the offense and the defense. Well, he made, he turned this offense into from a conservative one to a quick strike off as a lot of re options. Some is similar you see with the Philadelphia Eagles, pretty much, and also Joe Moorhead, knowing that his football resume involved with some of the greatest stars in the NFL. But anyways, it was a quick striking offense, and also the defense gotten a lot tougher, a lot of big hits they was putting on. There's a lot of things they can improve on, like um, like capitalizing off of big turnovers, big three and outs, pretty much, and also... They could do that. Um, so, And they got a big opponent next week against Michigan State. And there's a little optimism because Michigan State themselves was hanging on, had their backs to the ropes against Western Michigan, another MAC opponent. There's a little optimism with that. But there's they got a whole week to improve on, make some fixes, uh, and deal with some issues they had during that game. They was, as they were, 18-point favorites in that game. But a lot. Like, a lot of changes, a lot of improvements, and a lot, yeah. of, a lot of changes to be fixed. Yeah, we'll I, talk about that Michigan State game here in a little bit. Pat, go ahead. Say, I think I give us a little bit of leeway because we are watching a lot of our old players that are still here try to develop and work under a whole new program with Coach Moorhead. So I, I give us the first game as a little bit of a pass. It was a trial game. It was the first time we're going to see 
this new offensive and defensive system out on the field. And honestly, I think, you know, barely scraping by with the win is okay because this was a team that, you know, we were going to win regardless, I think. And this was like a trial game where it was like, it's okay to make these mistakes early on. We want to get the bumps out of the system. And hopefully, you know, like Marcus, like you said, Western Michigan gave uh, Michigan State kind of a run. So what's to say that we can't do that if we improve this week and moving on into the season? Absolutely. I think Coach Moorhead did enough to lead his team to a win, obviously, but it wasn't pretty. I like how he acknowledged that in his postgame press conference, and hopefully he can help this team improve over the course of this season. One area, though, where the Zips absolutely have to improve is the offensive line. Here's Coach Moorhead again on the O-line's performance in Game 1 against St. Francis. I think it's a combination of things. Uh, you know, Coach Lewis... You know, I think he's one of the, he, he does a fantastic job. And like I said, 19 points a game. They're one of the top pass defenses in the country last year, 330 yards of total offense. And his mind, I mean, they were blitzing us off the bus. You know what I mean? So that they walked off and got onto the field, and there were five man pressuring us and twists and movements and, and things like that, which which make it difficult to pick up. Uh, and the fact is, we, we, I mean, we were last in the country in sacks allowed last year, 5.25, and we gave up way too many today. You know, uh, some of it was communication. Some of it was, you know, maybe getting beat. Some of it was a back helping. Some of it was a quarterback holding on too long. Yeah, but certainly, you know, the amount of times that we were pressured or sacked was way too many. A lot of variables that go into it. But, uh, you know, we were able to throw for almost 300 and, you know, two touchdowns, no turnovers in the game. And, you know, we'll, we'll work to improve it. Once again, that was Coach Joe Moorhead after his coaching debut for Akron and talking about the offensive line. That gave up six sacks in the season opener. And again, I liked what he said in terms of recognizing that weakness, but what do you guys think about that offensive line that leaves much to be desired? They've got to improve. I mean, like you said, six sacks in the season opener. There's no reason why we're giving up six sacks to a team like St. Francis. Well, I do agree with coach Moore. they did come out they came out blitzing almost every play there's still no reason why you know we're letting dj irons get pressured that often there's no reason why you know we're letting the line just collapse that easily i don't really know it it looked like they were struggling a lot i mean now at the end of the game they looked a lot better obviously they helped block and get us that game winning touchdown but still i mean out of the gate uh that first drive i think dj almost went down so they just got to improve. They got to get better. Got to get more physical because it kind of looked like they weren't trying to block that hard. And it's like, okay, I understand if you're a little confident going into this game. These are, again, like a no-name school. But still, you have to know that at the end of the day, they are still Division One athletes. They might not be on our level, but they are still Division One athletes. They're going to come out to play. They know they have nothing to lose. So you've got to get your head down. you got to get dirty. You're a lineman. You're in the trenches. I used to be there. I know how it goes. You just got to get down and get dirty, learn how to block a little bit better, and keep the pressure off of DJ. Yeah, I don't want to say it was horrible, but I would say it was undisciplined because I was off as a line myself, and they they had a hard time of reading the blitzes. I remember there was one series where DJ was sacked like twice in a row off of blitzes pretty much, and some one was off a shotgun where – the running back missed the blitz, missed the blitzed guy. But anyways, it was horrible. Like you, like you mentioned, the six sacks was during off of blitzes. And then there was times where DJ had to scramble out the pocket or throw the ball away or either had to take off himself pretty much. And there was much better on the running, on the running game, like run blocking pretty much. There were some holes created. Cam, Cam Riley, he missed some holes. And 
also he needed to work on that as a back, work on his vision. But anyways, online did better block, better job run blocking for Cam Riley. But anyways, on the pass blocking for DJ Irons, they need to improve on that because they're playing one of the best defenses in the country, Michigan State. Yeah, look, the the O line needs work, and I don't think DJ Irons helped in any way. Too sure, some of the sacks were immediate, but others. I think it was just simply holding on to the ball for way too long. Irons has to learn to either escape a crumbling pocket or get the ball out fast. And maybe that falls on Moorhead, too, in terms of calling the right plays to help him out. Overall, though, what did you guys think of DJ Irons? Not bad, but not great. I think it was kind of like an average performance for DJ. I mean, he did lead us to the win. He did have, you know, some spectacular passes. But at the same time, he did have, it's kind of, like a Baker Mayfield type thing. You know, he has the highest of highs, but then he also has the lowest of lows is what I saw a lot of that game. You know, one play, he gets us a 20-yard pass to Shockey, and then the next thing you know, he gets sacked twice because he might be holding onto the ball for too long. So, again, it, it kind of an average performance. I'm glad that he led us to the win, but at the same time, you know, you know a little bit of decision-making. Got to get a little bit better with that. I also don't know if the offensive scheme that Coach Moorhead has right now is the best for DJ because DJ is more of a scrambling and running quarterback. He's not really that strong arm quarterback that you know Coach Moorhead is used to having. You know, Moorhead he did coach Justin Herbert at Oregon, so it's like you know he's used to those strong arm quarterbacks. Uh, our strong arm quarterback he left and transferred to uh, Georgia Tech, but I think that. Given, give us like another few weeks to improve upon um, working around DJ and his weaknesses, and I think we'll see an entirely new team. But he just got to improve on that decision-making and his accuracy. Yeah, I would agree. The accuracy he needs to work on. And also, um, he didn't make many mistakes. I see, I saw the maturity in, uh, in the young quarterback like DJ pretty much. But I, I would agree with Pat. He does, make, he does take too long to make a decision, either throw it away or let it go or either take off with yourself. I mean, he took more than, like, five seconds in the pocket to make a decision. And as a young quarterback, you should know that, or any quarterback, that all you got is three seconds to make a decision, whether you take off with yourself or just throw it away or give it to one of your guys, give it to one of your playmakers. But either or, I didn't see many bad decisions from him. And he could improve from here on out. There were multiple times, too, during the game where the pocket did collapse and he was outside of the pocket. And it was like, there's nobody in front of him. Just take off, get the first down. But he was still standing there, like, wanting to throw. And it's like, you have to get that recognition that if there's nobody there and you can get, you know, as close to the first down as you can, take off and run. Don't just stand there and wait. Like, yeah, it might not be what, you know, Coach Moorhead had drawn up, but you have to take it upon yourself to realize if the play's not working then it's up to you to still make it work. So you've got to recognize, you know, if there's that big of a hole there, take off and run. Don't just stand there and then two seconds before you're going to get hit, then decide to take off and maybe only get a yard out of it. Take the first down while you can. Yeah, well said. I thought his accuracy was good down the field, but there were many throws, especially in the second half, I noticed, where he was inaccurate throwing the ball short when facing pressure. Now, I want to take a second to talk about maybe my new favorite player, for this Zips team, Shockey Jacques-Louis. I mean, what a great name and even better wide receiver. He led the Zips in receiving with eight catches, 102 yards with a touchdown. Here's what Jacques-Louis had to say after the 30-23 to 23 overtime win. I feel like our team got a good understanding of it's four quarters to a game, so it don't matter how we start, it's how we finish. We got to play all four quarters as hard as we can. Them boys had to see us all four quarters, and they couldn't keep up. Yeah, as soon as we came in uh, after the first half, I told them, man, forget the first half. We're going to come out second half, and we're going to take off. 
Gentlemen, what do you think about Shockey Jacques-Louis? I love Shockey. I was pumped when I saw that we you know, managed to land him, transfer from Pitt. I agree with him. You know, it is a four-quarter game. You have to play all four quarters, and I think we did play all four quarters. I think St. Francis kind of fell apart, especially in overtime. They did kind of crumble, and, you know, Shockey already established himself as our wide receiver one this year. For sure, like you said, eight receptions, 102 yards, 12.8 yards a reception, and a touchdown. What a debut, especially for our Akron Zips. So shout out, Shockey, for that win. Um yeah, just keep doing what you're going to do. I'm excited to see him suit up against Michigan State and, you know, maybe we'll smell an upset alert or something. Yeah, hey, one, right. one can hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. He's had to establish himself as the deep threat of this offense. Uh, there was, other than that 45-yard touchdown he had, there was plenty of times with Joe Moorhead had him going downfield, burning DBs, just putting DBs on the, on the toaster, you know what I mean? Just putting them on the grill. He, he just a pure speed demon, and I'm... I'm looking forward to see a lot of him in this off utilizing this offense that Joe Moorhead has for him. Yeah, I agree. Before we move on from the zips, let's talk about that defense. And another staple of this team, guys, Bubba Arslanian. How good was it to see him back on the field? And what did you guys think of not only his performance, but the performance of the entire defensive unit? I was so happy to see Bubba back out there. You know, he did get that injury against Ohio State, and he didn't play from that game about what week three I think it was last year when the Zips took on Ohio State didn't play from then until just on Thursday and seeing him he's got uh, he got six solo tackles eight total tackles one tackle for loss that game it's good to see him back out there you know he is the anchor of our defense he is our go-to guy he brings that explosiveness um, at linebacker it was great to see him back out there Overall, I don't think our defense did too bad, but I don't think they did great either. I think that, you know, there were some of the same mistakes that were being made last year. Um, but at the end of the day, they did manage to string together a really good stop, especially at the very end when uh, we did get that interception. So shout out the defense. There's only, you know, there's only room to improve. Make sure you guys get that done. We got a tough opponent next week, but I trust our guys. Yeah, Marcus, any thoughts on the defense? Yeah, it was great to see Barbara Arcelaney out there making tackles. Others besides him, uh, the whole defense was just putting on the hits. Uh, pretty sturdy run defense. I would say the secondary is kind of suspect because, as you say, on that interception, it did seem like it was underthrown or underthrown. That's how he was able to make the pick or either the receiver ran the wrong route. He's supposed to run the slant instead of ran a fade. But anyways... I would say they would improve on the pass defense, but pretty sturdy um, run defense. Got a lot of sacks early, pretty much, but they could improve on them, bring on the hits. And I saw a lot of helmet popping hits from the defense, pretty much all over the field, and they could improve on that. And they really need it for the Spartans next week. Yeah, it was great to see Arslanian out there and playing well. The defense showed some good things. I think they were a bit better in the first half than in the second. And something that stuck out to me is that they kept on giving up big plays. They would consistently force St. Francis into third and longs, which is exactly what you want to do. And then they would follow that up by blowing coverage and giving up a huge play. So my biggest takeaways from this game is that we need to work on that offensive line. DJ Irons has weapons, especially down the field. And the defense needs to limit those explosive plays. But as we've referenced, next week we're on the road. We're taking on 15th-ranked Michigan State on Saturday at 4 p.m. The Spartans are also 1-0 after beating Western Michigan 35-13. to So, guys, give me your prediction on next week's game. I think, um, as much as I want to say that we're going to win, 
Uh, realistically, I, d- I don't see us winning this game. Um, I do think we're going to put up a little bit of a better fight than Western Michigan did, although Western Michigan, they are uh, in the MAC West, which is you know historically better at football than the MAC East, which we are a part of. Um, I think going into next week, I think we lose, but I think we keep Michigan State to that 35 again, and I think we pick up a little bit more. I think we lose 21-35 to Michigan State. 21-35, the score prediction for Pat Weber. Marcus, what do you think? I'll probably say uh, 20, 27 to 20, the Spartans win. I mean, this at the same time, this is a pretty slow and conservative offense that Michigan State runs, and we could keep them up to a tight ball game up to the fourth quarter. So, yeah, tight ball game. I agree with that. I think because with Coach Moorhead, we run such a fast-paced, high-power offense. I think we might be able to get a little bit up on Michigan State, especially since, you know, like Marcus, like you said, they are very conservative on offense. So I think that um, we could take advantage of that, and I think we should take advantage of that because, you know, you never know. MAC teams always find a way to upset the big opponents. Yeah, Who's who's stopping us this week? Yeah, Kenneth Walker was their entire offense last year, but watch out for Jalen Berger, a transfer from Wisconsin, who's supposed to be the processor of John V. Taylor, but he was a good back, high recruit at Wisconsin. Watch out for him. Unfortunately, I could see a similar score of Michigan State's win over Western Michigan here next week for the Zips. I'll say the Zips fall to 1-1, one and one, which is nothing to be ashamed about in the year by a score of 45-17. to 17. I think, you know, we barely got that win over St. Francis when we were kind of expected to win that game. So going on the road to play a Big Ten team like Michigan State, I don't think anything is really in our favor in that way. But before we go to break, let's talk about a game that happened last night, the college football game of the week. It was Ohio State taking on Notre Dame. The Buckeyes had 172 yards on the ground with 91 from Travion Henderson and 84 from Mayan Williams. Jackson Smith Najigba was out for most of the game with an injury, which could explain why the offense didn't look as as explosive as it usually does. But guys, what did you think overall of the Ohio State-Notre Dame game? Good, solid win for Ohio State. Um, I didn't think that Notre Dame was going to hang in there for as long as they did, personally. Um, for a while there, I will admit that I was rooting for Notre Dame, but that was because OU had not beat uh, FAU yet. And if OU would have lost that game and Ohio State would have lost, that would have meant that your Akron Zips would be the only undefeated Ohio program. But aren't you an Ohio State fan? Like no. secondary? No. I'm Not I'm, at all? Not at all. Okay. No one's a fan saying. of my, quote, secondary team. So I'm just going to... Yeah. What's your secondary team? Uh, Penn State. Okay, that's fine. But that's just because I, I used to be an Ohio State fan, but like only because you know I we live here in Ohio, so I watched them all the time. But then I got a chance to go to a Penn State game and just the culture there, and like I was trying to be that guy where I was like, oh, I'm going to wear Ohio State stuff. But the fans there, they were just so nice, which like if you would have worn Penn State stuff to Ohio State, that's not going to go very well. But there they were just like, oh, whatever, go buy a whiteout shirt or whatever. And it's like, they didn't give me any problems. I liked the culture there, and it was a fun yeah. game. Penn State's actually my secondary college football team, which is weird because my first team is Ohio State in the Big Ten. Well, I guess my first team is Akron Zips. Yeah, and then, there you go. I was about and to then say. Ohio State and then Penn State. And, of course, if Ohio State's playing Penn State, I want Ohio State to win ten times out of ten. But I do have family that lives over in Pennsylvania. Um, my aunt went to Penn State, so I do have to support the Nittany Lions 
in in some way, in some fashion, when they're can, not playing, respect, when they're yeah. not playing the Buckeyes. Yeah. But go on, Pat. The Ohio State win over the Fighting Irish. So, like I said, it, it was a good win for them. C.J. Stroud to start the game, he just didn't look great. The offense as a whole just didn't look great when um, Jackson Smith and Jigba went down. But I mean, solid win. The defense definitely stepped up big time in the late half of the game. So shout out uh, the Buckeyes defense. That was insane the way they stepped up when the offense was struggling so I definitely think that this game is a kind of like staple point to defense wins championships because I don't think if the defense would have been there Ohio State wins the game yeah the defense was fantastic only allowing 10 points 76 rushing yards and while Notre Dame quarterback Tyler Buckner started eight for eight he finished 10 for 18 so a great second half for that Buckeyes defense Marcus what did you think of the Buckeyes win over Notre Dame? I mean, the Buckeyes did the win, but I respect the Fighting Irish a lot more. I mean, this is a week where I'm respecting the losers way more than the winners this weekend because it's just I, I didn't think Notre Dame would bring it like that. I honestly thought it was going to be a cakewalk for the Buckeyes, but uh, Notre Dame made it otherwise because over the years, during big games like this, they usually get their not only lose but get their butts kicked in games like this, but they actually brung it pretty much. And if it wasn't for that touchdown, if it wasn't for them blitzing the two safeties, which allowed that touchdown to Xavier Johnson, they would have maybe kept it in or maybe tied the game from here on out. But they really made a lot of big plays, a lot of big hits, especially if you've seen that hit from Jackson Smith, a jig. But, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of football I miss. That kind of smash my football, the way his helmet pop off, helmet popping his. That's the thing I miss about watching football pretty much. But no, they really brought it. And I could re- I could see him like being a threat to make another appearance in the playoffs. Yeah, Egbuka and Johnson both had receiving touchdowns. And Xavier Johnson really stepped up, not only at wide receiver catching that touchdown pass, but also in special teams in the very next play, making a great tackle. Overall, though, you know, that Ohio State offense, I mentioned how they were a bit lackluster overall in the game, especially without Jackson Smith and Jigba. I know Ryan Day kind of credited that to that injury. It kind of threw them um, for a loop there. But does C.J. Stroud look like a Heisman candidate? For me, he was my Heisman going into this season, but week one, what do you guys think? I don't think so. Personally, watching C.J. Stroud play, it was like he had a similar performance to what I would compare to like that at DJ Irons. It's like it wasn't, it wasn't anything special, like which is crazy to say because he had a really good stat line. But still, if you're looking at you know being a Heisman candidate, I don't think you can continue just to do what he did against Notre Dame. That's just not going to cut it if you want to win the Heisman. I mean, 24 for 34, 223 yards and two touchdowns. Not a bad stat line, and especially not a bad stat line for an off night if you're C.J. Stroud. Marcus, what did you think of Stroud's performance? Only because he was playing against a big opponent, yes, but the way he was playing, no. Honestly, it was a decent performance, not the kind of performance you expect from a Heisman candidate. And by the way, great to see Marvin Harris's son making some big catches out there too. But anyways, uh... I would say this was like a B-minus performance from C.J. Stroud, but it's only week one, and we'll see hopefully some better performances from C.J. Stroud. Yeah, he made some great plays, but the offense was stagnant for most of the game. I wouldn't consider him the clear Heisman after week one, and there really shouldn't be a clear Heisman Trophy candidate after just one game. And if you look at the game itself, it's not every season that your first game of the year comes against a top-five school. So next week when we play 
Arkansas State at home. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure C.J. Stroud's going to go off. Jackson Smith and Jigba, if he's healthy, that wide receiver quarterback combo is going to be back on the field for the Buckeyes. So I think people are overreacting just a little bit right now on C.J. Stroud. I think he'll be just fine, and I think he will have his name in that Heisman candidate race come the end of the season. But that will do it for our first segment here of Sports Power Talk. When we return, we'll keep the conversation going for college football. We'll have winners and losers and, of course, talk about the change to the college football playoff that I am super excited about, but I know there's a lot of mixed emotions on that. So don't go anywhere. This is Sports Power Talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sports Power Talk, the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. I'm your host. My name is Jake Murren, and I'm joined by two of my analysts. First, Pat Weber. Go Steelers. I'm just going to completely avoid that. And uh, Marcus Anderson. Steelers suck. Thank hey, you. No, no, the guy no. who used to say, if you're not a Steelers fan, you're not I'm a like, fan of the NFL. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say something else, but... Not too many people watch soccer on here. But off topic, go Arsenal. Playing Man City right now. Let's make it 6-0. Sure, go Arsenal. I have no yeah, idea you what you just said, but there I hope some people did and, and appreciated that. I know, I know Logan Congrove. He knows. Okay. Also, I know that Jake Goat also knows because he is a apparently an outspoken Chelsea supporter. So shout out him. Chelsea, not a bad team to uh, root for. Just don't be like Logan and be a Liverpool fan because then you're just gross. Makes sense. And guys, let's get right back into college football, the premier week of the college football season. And perhaps the biggest headline isn't even the games themselves. It's the fact that the college football playoff board of managers decided on a 12-team college football playoff. This will be in effect in 2026, but they are encouraging the sports commissioners to try to implement it as soon as 2024. A lot of mixed emotions on this, but what are you guys' thoughts on the 12-team playoff coming soon to college football? I'm a big fan of it. I mean, I've been saying for a while that they need to expand the college football playoffs. Just having those initial, what, like, is it four teams, I think? It's not nearly enough. So I'm glad to see that they're actually expanding it. They're actually listening. And I'm excited to see what uh, this is going to create for the NCAA going into the future. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I wish it was a lot sooner than 2026, but at least they brought brought it in and... I think 12 is the perfect number because if I thought before I thought it would be just 10 because then if it comes down to 10, you got to come down to look at the t- two other teams on the outside, look it in, and then but 12 is the perfect number because that used to be the team, the number of teams of NFL playoff teams to be in, and they got 14, college football got 12, perfect. So I'm really surprised to hear this from you guys because – On Twitter, I'd say 70% of the tweets and comments I'm seeing are negative about the 12-team playoff. Everybody on Twitter is a bunch of salty Alabama fans because it means they don't have an easy cakewalk to the national championship every year. Well, Matt Permuke up here is a Notre Dame fan. And well, he's he, also pretty salty about that because Notre Dame's just not going to make it. That's true, <laughs> but he also <laughs> he's also very adamant against the 12-team playoff. It's such playoff. a good thing that they're expanding. What is wrong with it? It's more college football. Right. I think the biggest That's complaint. a better thing. The, college football a, is better than the NFL, in my opinion. It gives everybody good thing. an equal chance, too. <laughs> exactly. The biggest complaint I'm seeing is that it diminishes the regular season, but for me... 
All conferences can now be represented in the playoff. I agree that the regular season, it might be less important now, but I'm okay with that if it means the playoff is much more significant now. Sure, we'll have some blowout games, but we'll see different teams each year compete. We'll have intriguing matchups with high stakes in the final round. And look, upsets are bound to happen. The best team should still be able to come out on top. And I love this change by the college football playoff board of managers. I mean, like so I said, don't really understand I, the argument against it. I love it because, like you said, it's going to give more teams a chance to get represented. Because let's be honest, the past like five, six years, it's been basically the same top four teams every single year. And I, I'm going to be honest here. I'm sick and tired of seeing Alabama and Ohio State and like Georgia in there. I'm just, I'm sick of it. I, I want to change in that. Last year when Cincinnati made it, that was crazy. I mean, obviously they didn't do anything with it, but that was still insane to see them. You know, it was a refreshing thing, honestly, even though Ohio State didn't make it last year. It was refreshing to see somebody other than Ohio State there. Obviously, Alabama still made it because it's Alabama, but, like, seeing these new teams, it's, like, refreshing because it's not like, okay, we're going to see the same two teams fighting it out year after year. It's refreshing. It's good. Maybe we'll get a chance to see, you know, some MAC teams make it deep in there, other you know, maybe even a Sunbelt team could make it up there somehow. So I'm a huge fan of it. If you don't like it, then you're just probably a really salty Ohio State fan or very salty Alabama fan. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just being honest there with that. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm not a salty Ohio State fan, and I love that this is a 12-team playoff, and I hope it is implemented as soon as 2024. But we want to hear from you. We want to know what you have to say and what you have to think about this college football playoff expansion with Around the Rue, where we debate around the table and bring it to you via our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. So the Around the Rue question this week is, what's the perfect number for the college football playoff? I think we can all agree that four isn't the perfect number. We wanted an increase. So the four options are six, eight, ten, and 12. So guys... We both, or all three of us, like that it's a 12-team playoff or it's going to be a 12-team playoff, but what is the perfect number in your guys' opinion? I think 12. I think that 12 is the absolute perfect number. No more, no less. I like 12. Yep, 12, absolutely. Wow, I'm seriously blown away. I was coming up here expecting to argue my point here because I completely agree with you guys. I am going with 12 as the perfect number. And if it's too many, they can always decrease the number in the future. You know, the college football playoff is still young. They experimented with four for many years. And look, it it just didn't work. And they admitted that it didn't work. So they made this vote. It was unanimous. Now it's going to be 12. So if 12 doesn't work, they'll change it again. And I think overall, it just makes college football much more exciting, especially when just thinking about that 12-team playoff, just thinking about all the teams competing, and sure, there's going to be blowouts, but the possibility for upsets are still there. And regardless, you're still going to tune in, you're still going to watch, and if they're all bowl games too, that makes those bowl games a lot more exciting as well. So yeah, overall, it's not just I think adding it's in another bowl game where it's like, all right, another pointless bowl game where, like, honestly, like, you know, if you're a Big Ten school, it's like, okay, it's a bowl game, whatever. But it adds, you know, like like you said, kind of like, like a refreshing thing because... Now you're actually competing to move on. You're not just playing in it to be like, oh, look, I made it to a bowl game. You're playing in it because now you're competing for the national title. So, yeah, we'll get, we'll get that around the root question up on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports as soon as we can. But before we end our discussion 
on college football. I ask each of you for a winner and for a loser for week one of college football, a segment that I think we're going to do weekly up here because I'm going to have a lot of fun with it, and I hope you guys do too. So fire away, Marcus. I'll go to you first. Give me at least your winner to start. Oh, my winner is Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs, defending defending national championship champions. They had a lot of players lead due to the NFL draft, but still look like the same old Georgia Bulldogs from a year ago. Just kicked the butt of the Ducks. Felt like Elmer Fudd. Felt like Elmer Fudd already. It, it was like Duck season already for them. <laughs> Duck season already. Forty nine to three. Let's go, go Dogs. All right, Pat, your winner. So, I have two because I am gonna have a big big shout out to florida they did beat number seven utah by three so shout out gators hopefully we can see florida football coming back i have missed seeing them around um and my other winner i'm gonna give it to james madison uh they just recently moved into the fbs division one and they had an absolutely stellar win 44 to 7 over middle tennessee so good to see them making an impact in division one football already and hopefully we'll see more of them in the future Yeah, my winner is Tom Hutton. He is a 32-year-old punter for Oklahoma State. (laughs) 32 years old. He's the oldest active FBS player who who used to be a paper mill worker in Australia. Look, it's never too late to chase your dreams. So good for Tom Hutton. He is my winner for week one of college football. Let's go to the losers, though, something that is probably going to be more fun than talking about the winners. Pat, I'll go to you first this time. Hey, I have three losers. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to save the best for last. Okay, so, we, we talked about this a little bit off air. Um, my first loser definitely has to be Oregon. How do you only score three points? Like, I understand you're playing Georgia, but how do you only score three points? And you're a top 15 ranked team. I don't understand that. Like, at all. They should be embarrassed. Go dogs! I'm so happy Oregon lost. Uh, second loser, uh, this little bit of a shout-out to, I'm pretty sure Hugh Jackson is a coach for them, but I'm not 100% sure. Isn't he the coach for Grambling? Because Grambling played yesterday <laughs> and lost 58-3 to to Arkansas State. Ooh, love so, to hear it. Another, another big L there. And then, like I said, I'm going to save the best for last. Third loser, Kent State. You lost. Kent Reed can't write. Kent win. You lost to Washington. I don't care that they're a bigger school than who we played. We're one and zero. You're not one and zero. You lost. Go home. Go to the little brother of us. Go back. Just leave. Kent State. No. Yeah. Love to hear it. Love Anti-Kent to hear it. Kent everything. Marcus, <laughs> Marcus, you're losers. I want to say East Carolina, but I want to say North Carolina State too. Both of you guys are losers. Neither of you guys deserve to win the game. Because honestly, if you watch that whole fourth quarter, that whole sequence from the four from the four minute period, I mean, it seemed like neither team wanted to none the wanted to win. But North Carolina State, with you being the top fifteen team in the nation, it almost pulled a fast one, dodged a fast one from East Carolina. I know they're a stink of the grass kind of program as well, but. If I was the kicker for East Carolina, I wouldn't want to show my face on campus at all. I'll get my roommate to get my homework. I would not step outside of a room, outside my dorm, wherever you live. I'm not showing my face outside campus at all. Missing an extra point and the game-winning field goal at the end. But North Carolina State, they're the losers. Um, go Wolfpack. You're losers. And also <laughs> North Carolina. North Carolina allowing 40 points in one quarter, all in the fourth quarter. That's just unacceptable. I mean, wins like this are just unacceptable. If I was a coach, this is unacceptable. I know it's just week one, but unacceptable. 
Yeah, how about that game? 63-61, to 61, the <laughs> yeah, final score, North Carolina and Appalachian that State. That game was insane. Insane. And what bothers me most is that onside kick that Appalachian State had that the UNC player took to the house. I did not understand it at all. And it was kind of a funny clip, too, because North Carolina completely blasted all of Appalachian State's uh, kick return men. But to me, I think about that Nick Chubb play, I think a season ago, where he stepped out of bounds rather than scoring a touchdown because the Browns could just run out the clock and win the game. And if you're North Carolina there, you have the lead. There's, I think, like 30 seconds left. Appalachian State only has one timeout. Just step out. And if it comes down to it, cool. If you get somehow forced into a fourth down, just kick a field goal. Yeah, Yeah, They're not going to do anything with like maybe two seconds left on the clock. So, I mean... Instead, he wants to be cool. He runs the entire field, scores a touchdown, and they kick an extra point, and it's an eight-point game. That's still a one-possession game. They give the ball right back to Appalachian State, and then you saw what happened. They went down the field and scored a touchdown. Yeah, got down on the one. On the one yeah. on that two-point conversion. <laughs> have, why would they run the same play? They called for the previous two-point conversion. They ran the same exact play. I, know. It first I have time, no idea. First time it worked, worked. It was overthrown. But anyways, I was Mac Brown. I'm having the defense run laps up the stairs all week long. <laughs> Unacceptable. 40 points in one quarter. Unacceptable. That's why I'm right on the board for the Tar Heels. Unacceptable. Wolfpack. Unacceptable. Yeah, you're, you're losers. Winners, but you're really losers. My loser, I have one loser and then one honorable mention. So my loser is the South Carolina State special teams. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the Gamecocks oh, on a fourth and 19 play are about to punt. And in the funniest football video I've ever seen, punter Dyson Roberts runs for 12 yards and then punts the ball well ahead of the line of scrimmage. Did you guys see this I video? I did see that because I, I think I was actually, uh, I was watching another game and I just see special teams error and whenever I see that I have to take a look at it because they're just always going to be funny and I sat there just like blown away because that's something I would expect to see in like peewee or something <laughs> not in division one college athletics like the how do you just run 12 I... yards and then go oh I think I'm going to kick the ball now Dude, I have no idea. <laughs> the broadcasters were as confused as everybody that's... in the stands and everybody watching that football game. He runs 12 yards and is like, oh, shoot, I'm about to get tackled. Punt the ball <laughs> yeah. away. It was one of the funniest things that's... I'll ever see this season in college football. That's college football for you. Only wacky happens. And it wasn't, even, <laughs> it wasn't even like it was a small school. This is South Carolina. It's not like it was a school that we've never heard of. It was South Carolina. And Dyson Roberts, I mean, thank you for the clip. Thank you for the laugh. But, man, he's got to know that you got to punt the ball behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> That's how special teams work. Works. And then my honorable mention for a loser of week one of college football. And I have to give Matt Permuka credit for this because I wasn't aware of it until he sent it to our group chat. That Virginia Tech, that game got delayed oh, because coaches were stuck in an elevator. <laughs> oh, my God. How does that happen? <laughs> oh, no. How does that happen where coaches are stuck in an elevator and you have to delay a college football game? And, again, not a small school that you've never heard of before. This is Virginia Tech. This is the home of the quote-unquote best uh, college um uh, I forget the word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean. Tradition, when they listen to Enter Sandman, this is that same school. They probably broke the elevator yeah. jumping around to it, for all we know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe some people were late and were singing Enter, Enter Sandman in the in the elevator and broke it. Who knows? Yeah, the coaches gaming. were getting hyped and they broke the elevator. <laughs> oh, man. That is just that headline alone. 
I want to know so much more. I would expect to see that headline for us. Yeah. I would expect to yeah. see Akron game delayed because coach is stuck in an elevator. I mean, Logan, <laughs> not, at, not at Virginia Tech. Logan Congrove and I have been stuck in the Colby Hall elevator before, so it's n- not unlikely to happen here at the University of Akron. <laughs> but no, it happened at Virginia Tech, and that game got delayed. So that's my second loser or honorable mention loser for college football week one. I think this is a fun segment. I think we're going to do it every single week. But let's transition to the NFL And let's talk about the top 100 list for just a little bit. It was revealed early on this week. It feels like it was revealed a long time ago. And let's debate the top 10 order. It was Tom Brady, Aaron Donald, Aaron Rodgers, Cooper Cup, Jonathan Taylor, TJ Watt, Devontae Adams, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Ramsey, and Travis Kelsey. Any players that don't even deserve to be in the top 10, gentlemen? Jalen Ramsey does not deserve to be in the top 10 at all. He was getting burnt the entire Super Bowl. By Jamar Chase. Why is he on there? Why is he there? He shouldn't be there. That's all I have to say. There's no reason Jalen Ramsey should be on there at all. Yeah, with players like Miles Garrett, Derrick Henry, and Josh Allen sitting right outside of the top 10, I would have easily put Henry in the top 10 over Jalen Ramsey. So I completely agree with you, Pat. Marcus, what do you think? I mean, this is a perfect top 10 right here. And (laughs) it's a perfect top 10. Even the order? Yes. Oh, get out of here. The order, everything. I mean, and there should have been somebody different at number one. The order, everything. I mean, and Jalen Ramsey, I mean, he might be arguably the best shutdown corner of all time. I'm talking about up there with Darrell Rivas, Deion Sanders, and all that. I mean, he's a pure game changer at the position. And also, I'm so, tra- I'm so glad Travis Kelsey's on there. I'm so glad that I finally got him on my fantasy team after all these years, one of him, and also TJ Watt, Devontae Adams, Patrick. Patrick Mahomes, I, it's a perfect top 10. No mistakes with the top 10. Man, I disagree. I think Derrick Henry should have been in there. Even Miles Garrett, too. I think Mahomes should be higher, and I would put Kelsey ahead of Adams in the top 10 as well. Pat, do you have anything else for me on the top 10? I just have a bone to pick with you. I remember when you were saying that uh, Miles Garrett was going to make it in the top 10 and TJ Watt wasn't. What happened Did I that? say that? You I don't did. really care about the top 100 list, if I'm being completely honest, but you I did. do think Miles Garrett is a better player than TJ Watt. Mm-hmm. No. I don't know about that. Are you sure about that? I'm not sure. The proof is going to be on the field this season. Oh, really? It will be. Really? Yeah, are you sure about that? Yeah. Are you positive? I I am very positive. Okay, I'm just going to wait for TJ Watt to go off for another six sacks against the Browns in the game. I'm just going to wait on that. Yeah, last that's what we're going to wait on. And then TJ Watt will be at number one next year. Last time I checked, TJ is tied for the all-season record for sex, not Miles Garrett. <laughs> exactly. Hey, we'll see and, what happens this season. We'll see what happens this TJ season. TJ Watt played less yeah. games He missed three season games. than he Miles Garrett games. did. Still tied record. We'll it see. speaks for itself that he is just a better player than Miles Garrett. It, we'll see it's what just happens. a fact. We'll see what happens. Miles Garrett's going to have a better year this year than TJ Watt. <laughs> Book it. <laughs> Laugh at me all you want. The evidence is going to be on the field this season. No, Miles Garrett is a bad boy. He's a no, bad no. Boy. He's, I'm not saying he's bad, but I'm just simply saying that T.J. Watt is just far superior in every yeah, aspect yeah, of this yeah, game. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about the Cleveland Browns, but before we do that, let's talk about something that kind of had an impact on the Browns. I don't think so, but many people were upset about it, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo and his new contract, a one-year restructured deal to return to the 49ers. The deal is worth $6.5 million in guarantees, but it is incentive-heavy with up to $16 million, and he becomes the highest-paid backup in the NFL. And as I mentioned, a lot of Browns fans were upset by this news. Personally, 
I don't understand it. I don't think Jimmy G would have been the answer if we brought him in. It would have been a week and a half, two weeks before the regular season. How How is that going to work? How is that going to work? What do you guys think of the Jimmy G news? I mean, I don't know. It's it's like a bunch of mixed emotions with this. I mean, Fortnite is at the same time showing that they're ready to move on for him and ready to move on with Trey Lance, which is obviously the future. I mean, you dropped him in the first round. There's no other reason why you dropped him in the first round, especially inside the top ten. But anyways, this is a, I don't know why we structured the deal, give him one more season. I mean, and you're showing signs that you're ready to get rid of him. So, I don't know. It just upset not just the Browns, but a lot of other teams as well, like the Jets, who needs a quarterback as well. But I don't understand this. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it either. The Browns put themselves into this situation. I don't think Jimmy G is all that good and would have been the answer for us. But let's talk about the Browns and their notable Roster cuts. Johnny Stanton the fourth at fullback is probably the biggest name on this list for me. And Jamarcus Bradley at wide receiver. Uh, Isaac Rochelle and Josh Rosen were cut. That eventually brought back to the practice squad. Not much here to talk about in terms of roster cuts for the Browns, but do you guys have anything for me on that? Isn't I have a question. Isn't Isaac Rochelle that dude on TikTok? His wife is a prominent TikToker, and I think Isaac Rochelle is very popular on t- on uh, Twitter as well. I think He's I a big Notre Dame now. fan. I probably fo- I don't know. Sounds. I'm just I'm just saying because like he his name just sounded familiar. I, I don't it, know. Yeah, he has a he has a social media personality. Yes. Did he did he play for the Colts last year? I want to say yes, but I'm not okay, sure. I'll look it up. Okay, I was gonna say because yeah, he sounds so, like a then Pittsburgh Steeler or I think I saw his name with the Steelers. Maybe I'm not sure because his I name just kind of sounds. Familiar. I know he had to be on special teams. I had to see him on special yeah. teams at some point. Isaac Russell. Chargers, Colts. Okay, so oh, yeah, it is the guy I'm thinking of then. Okay. That's the thing I had questions because honestly, everybody else is just, I mean, whatever. They're practice squad players. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to sound disrespectful, but I mean, they're on the practice squad. It might get called up. Very unlikely, especially Isaac Rochelle because the Browns' defensive line is insane. Yeah, Second I mean, best barring defensive line. In the NFL, oh no, nah, <laughs> no I'm kidding. I'm just taking. I'm just taking a jab. I'm just taking a jab over here. I'm eating them. I'm you're gonna, them out. You're gonna eat them again when TJ Watt just goes insane. I'm mm-hmm. just saying. Hey, we'll see. This is all. <laughs> this is all conjecture, man. We'll see what happens on the football field. Let's talk about my favorite player in the NFL. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield, shall we? Let's talk about Baker Mayfield's comments because it's upsetting a lot of Browns fans. And to me, I don't really understand it, but let's break it down. So Cynthia Freeland told Baker Mayfield to go mess up the Browns. She used a different word, but we're going to say mess up on this program. And he repeated it back to her, which is what got everybody so upset because he said he wanted to mess up the Browns in week one. But Baker clarified that's not how he phrased it. And I, I just don't understand why this is such a big deal. And now everyone is throwing a fit about the shirts he released, about being off the collar. And guess what, everyone? He's not our quarterback anymore. I don't understand. He's not he's our just, quarterback anymore. He's going to make a lot. He's living in your head rent-free. That's, he's, that's he's, living he's, in, doing. he's living in the haters rent-free. I don't understand. It's like, okay, cool. I would expect him to say something. Even if it was taken out of context, I would expect him to say something like that. Right. Because the if Browns, he, they completely just like, yeah. they went behind his back. And just went completely off the wall. So it's like he has every reason to say what he has to say. Yeah. If he I mean, didn't say it to a media member, he said it in his head many, many times. Oh, probably worse things than that oh, about yeah, the Cleveland probably, Browns. No doubt. I mean, just like what Nino Brown said from New Jack City, <laughs> this is just business, non personal. And uh, this makes it an interesting week one. I mean, 
But as we're here on out, you're Baker Lanefield. And I just dropped you from a fantasy squad <laughs> for Ryan Tannehill. But <laughs> can't wait to see what you do against us uh, this Sunday. I still have Baker in Carolina. I have to get but, a trade going there, Pat. But I mean, until then, accept. you're Baker Lanefield. <laughs> yeah, honestly, here, like. I, I I don't understand why Browns fans are mad. Why are you mad about this? If anything, you should it. be happy he said that because it's probably going to drive your team to play better. But yet you're mad about it, so it's like <laughs> it makes no sense to me. And if you don't like it, guess what? Stop following him. He's on, uh, stop following him on social media. Stop following him as a personality. Stop following him as a player. Instead, focus on the terrible situation at QB that the Browns had for the first twelve weeks of the season. Focus on Deshaun Watson and his suspension. Focus on. Joshua Dobbs, and if he will or will not see the field this year because of his amazing preseason. Focus on Jacoby Brissett, who who knows how he's going to play in the first 12 weeks of the year. Focus on that. Why are we focusing on Baker Mayfield, who doesn't even play for the Cleveland Browns anymore? It makes no sense to me. He's on a different team. He's on a different team. I agree with you, Pat. He lives rent-free in these people's heads. Logan Crongrove, I'm talking about you especially. <laughs> he lives rent-free in these Browns heads fans. Why are we posting on Twitter every single time Baker Mayfield bashes the Browns in the slightest way? He clarified the comments. He said he did not phrase it like that. And who cares if he phrased it like that? He's probably said it in his head many, many times. Look, the Browns did not treat this man well. He didn't. He's now a Carolina Panther. We have to live with that. Baker Mayfield has to live with that. Why are we upset about these T-shirts that say off the collar on them? Oh, no. That's the worst thing. Let's not focus on week one where the Panthers have a legitimate chance to beat the Browns. When we need that win to actually have a playoff chance this year. If you lose to the Panthers, that's just... That's just bad. I don't think I'll say... But it could happen because Jacoby Brissett's our starting quarterback. But instead of focusing on that, we're worried about Baker Mayfield on the Carolina Panthers because he's releasing shirts that say off the collar. <laughs> Or he's saying that he's going to beat the Browns. He's going to mess us up because that's the worst thing we've ever heard. Makes no sense to me. It's the only game. Why you have to be mad? (laughs) I'm pulling a bit of a Logan Congrove rant here because to me, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense why this is a headline, why we're continuing to talk about Baker Mayfield when he's a Carolina Panther. And if this wasn't a week one matchup, guess what? We are going to be talking about it. But because the Browns are playing the Panthers week one, it's a headline. People want to get something stirred up because it's the quarterback that the Browns went ahead and they stabbed him in the back and now he's going to be starting week one against the Browns again so everyone's trying to get something riled up but it's like yeah see I was probably thinking the same thing when they played Russell Wilson Monday night against the Broncos (laughs) you get hot in here I'm a little hot now yeah it's a little hot you you gotta cool down a little bit just think about about how good (laughs) Joshua Dobbs is shout out Joshua Dobbs to Steelers legend dude I'm not excited for this Brown season I'm really not and I'm going to be supporting the Carolina Panthers I'm going to be supporting uh, Baker Mayfield not Week one, I'm still kind of up in the air. I don't know. I'll talk about that more next <laughs> Sunday when I actually have to make my decision of who I'm rooting for. I just hope both teams have fun. How see, about that? Both teams see, have there fun. There you go. Baker Mayfield throws 500 yards. Yeah, mm, probably. Both can be. Yeah, both can happen. Can we? Can we place like unofficial wages or whatever? How much do we want to bet that George Pickens and Eli Apple flipping the script that they both get suspended week one? Eh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just cool I'm, down. I'm you, just saying, you gotta, you gotta cool down. Let's move away from the Browns and you, you do <laughs> you, you do it the impression of a guy after a breakup for real. <laughs> oh man, we're wilding out this segment, boys. Before we go to break and talk about Donovan Mitchell with the NFL, comes fantasy football. 
as many of you already know, WZIP Sports has a podcast called SPT Overtime. And in one of our latest episodes, we had a special fantasy football draft where we went through all 16 rounds with 10 teams being drafted. If you haven't listened to it yet, I strongly encourage you to do so. And if my word isn't enough, here's just a small sampling of the highlights from what you can expect in that podcast. At Take It Away, you are on the clock for the first overall pick of the 2022 WZIP Sports Fantasy Football Draft. All right, so with the first overall pick, I feel like for everybody, it's not much of a surprise on who I'm going with here, but I will be taking the running back. You guys are avid listeners of WZIP Sports and Sports Power Talk. You know that I would never, ever, ever take anybody associated with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback, which means I am definitely 100% passing on Christian McCaffrey. I think Christian McCaffrey has one of the most down years of his career, and that includes his injury seasons because there's no way I'm picking anybody who has Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. I'm going to surprise everybody here. I'm also going to reach for somebody and I think it's going to surprise a lot of you. I'm going to hit the button right now. Hey, uh, thank you, Jake. I'm going to pick my jaw up off the floor real quick. These picks have been absolutely just the most ridiculous picks I've ever seen in any fantasy football draft I've ever been in. That's some homerism. I respect it deeply. Listen, listen. I am basing this fully on objectivity. I am not being biased. I am I'm speaking from an objective standpoint. I think that both these players are going to do really well this year. Logan, I want to make fun of you for that pick, but I can't. So you you win this round. Stole my pick. Stole my pick again. Like you said, the man's from South Beach, and the South Beach is just where it's at. The 305, the Dolphins. When are you a Dolphins fan? Oh, man. man oh, here we go. I regret. I so regret sending it to Logan Congrove already. With that all being said, I will be taking Joe Shiesty. Joe, burr. I'm going to be drafting Kyler. Are you bigger than a fifth grader Murray. Oh, I can say I hate it that much. I hate it that much. Yeah. There's a reason uh, two tight ends in a row is never a strategy. On the clock, I'm going to take a former Steeler. Right at the top of the list right now is Juju Smith-Schuster. He's going to have a fantastic year taking over as wide receiver one for Patrick Mahomes. Corvette, Corvette. I'm about to blow this draft up because I'm looking at my depth chart and I need a backup quarterback. And I know I have bashed him time and time again, but I am taking quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Give me no! Wow. No way. You're no. not over Aaron Rodgers. Blasphemous. But <laughs> Dan, I hate to burst your bubble, but if a defense is on the field a lot, that's not really a good thing. And I wish you nothing but the worst for this upcoming fantasy season. Now we'll do it for this special one-of-a-kind podcast as we hosted the official 2022 WZIP Sports Fantasy Football Draft. I mean, how about that? How about that? Pat, what do you what do you think of that highlight package? I'm just I'm just gonna sit back and let my one draft pick that was fully spoken out speak for itself. It was a wild, very wild, very entertaining fantasy draft. And highly recommend that if you haven't listened to it, you go listen to it. It is probably one of our most entertaining uh, episodes of SBT Overtime yeah. that we've ever uploaded. Yeah, yeah we agree. I had a great time. And it had I think <laughs> eight voices on it. I mean, it's something that we haven't done before. One of a kind, a special podcast. It was a I great time draft. Nine, nine there. was it just the one we were missing? I believe so. Yeah. I think we had nine voices on there, so it got crazy. But 
Man, was it fun. Yeah, it was very fun. It was a great time drafting. And again, that is available now on all podcasting platforms under SPT Overtime. It's time for us to go to break, though. When we return, we'll talk about potentially the biggest trade in Cavs history and answer your hot mic questions. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sports Power Talk on WZIP. again everyone and welcome to the best sports talk show there is was and ever will be i'm your host my name is jake murren and i am joined by pat weber let's go zips let's go zips i can agree with Two that times one in a row. i Two can times ag- in i can a row. agree with that one and marcus anderson cast playoffs baby yeah the we're gonna talk about the cast here in just a second i think th- i think things have cooled down in the studio a little bit. You feeling okay? I am feeling okay. Over there. I am feeling okay. okay. Um, I don't think I've ever lashed out like that. That was the first. You got, you got pretty yeah, you, heated over there. It was like a guy after a breakup. <laughs> like, I don't need you. No, I... <laughs> Don't let don't get me in this mood again, guys. Come on now. Okay. We'll, we'll put you in a better mood by before we talk about the NBA. There's something that'll put you in a better mood. I know it will. Yeah, go ahead. And that is that your University of Akron Zips men's soccer team is playing Michigan State tomorrow at seven here in Akron. I think we already know to uh, fill the hill tomorrow. No classes tomorrow. No work tomorrow. It's the holiday. Let's go watch the Zips beat Michigan State, just like we're gonna do to them in football. Yes, sir. Go Zips. I love the Zips enthusiasm out of you, Pat. It really gets me amped up, even though I'm not very optimistic as a Zips fan. I love it. See, soccer is like what we're known for, though, is that you have to realize. We are 14 in the nation. We had the fourth uh, highest ranked uh, dr- uh, recruiting class this year in the entire NCAA for soccer. Not to mention that two of our very own University of Akron alumni were playing in the MLS All-Star Game. The Zips are all over the world for soccer. It's what we're known for. Fill the Hill, Michigan State is going down. Going down hard. Yeah, hopefully that is the case tomorrow. Let's talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. I've been saying it. It's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, trade in franchise history for the Cavs. As the Cavs sent Lowry Markinen, Ochai Abaji, Colin Sexton, three unprotected first-round picks, and two pick swaps for the three-time All-Star with three years left on his contract. Donovan Mitchell. Spider Mitchell is a Cleveland Cavalier. Sexton did get signed by the Jazz to a four-year $72 million deal with the Jazz as well. But the biggest headline here is Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs, joining two other All-Stars on our current roster. Guys, overall reactions to this ginormous trade in the NBA for our very own Cleveland Cavaliers. I want early access on playoff tickets already. Playoff tickets already. This has to be a dream. This has to be a dream. There's no way. Did you guys see Alex and I's reaction on social media? I did. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I was just sitting at home, minding my own business, getting ready just to hang out, have a fun time, you know, get ready to go see the Zips play some football. And then, so I'm already in a good mood because it was game day for the Zips, my favorite day of the week. And then I see that and I just kind of like dropped my phone and I just kept saying, there's absolutely no way. That that's real. And then I got the ESPN notification. And then it was like, oh, my God, we just got Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Fever dream. Fever dream. So for those of you that don't know, Alex Henry and I have a DJ show from Tuesdays and Thursdays from 3 to 5. And it's called Polar Opposites because we disagree on a lot of things, have a lot of arguments. But it broke in the middle of our show that, hey, 
Donovan Mitchell is now a Cleveland Cavalier. And we have to thank Matt Permuka for this because before anybody, Matt Permuka in our group chat said, Donovan Mitchell's a Cavalier. I refreshed Twitter right away. I see the Woj bomb saying, hey, this trade actually went down. And there was about 10 seconds left in the song. And we said, we have to go on. We have to go on right now and break this news. And I've been dying for news like this to break during Sports Power Talk because we are talking to a sports audience in this show. But still, to break that news live on the air, I mean, that Woj Bomb tweet had to be up for less than a minute by the time Alex and I were on the air breaking the news to hundreds of listeners that Donovan Mitchell is indeed a Cleveland Cavalier. We went on for another break a couple minutes later uh, talking about the the terms of the deal, the players that we sent over, and everything like that. And then, of course, we posted that hysterical video to social media. I think it almost has 800 views on our <laughs> WZIP Sports page where, you know, Alex put in that song. He was dancing to it. I I answered the frame, and I, <laughs> I, I answered the frame ever so slightly. And I shook my head no because I, th- I mean, Alex was being ridiculous. But that's, that's Alex Henry. Right, that's Alex Henry, and I love him for it. And I was like, what is this dude doing? I mean, it's huge news. And then I was like, you know what? Why not? Let's join in. So I I joined in. I got a little little excited there as well. Uh, It was definitely a funny video. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out on WZIP Sports Twitter page. But, yeah, Donovan Mitchell is now a Cleveland Cavalier. What are you guys' thoughts on the package going to Utah, though? I am really upset that we couldn't keep uh, Lowry Markin in. I love that guy. He's young. He's a big man. He can shoot from behind the arc. Ochai Abaji, obviously, we just drafted him. And then Colin Sexton, we're parting ways with him. I feel like that's almost expected if we're getting a guy like Donovan Mitchell. So, guys, what did you think? I mean, I I also wish we could have kept Colin Sexton. It would have kept us like a deadly trio of sharpshooters, like him, Mitchell, and uh, Garland. Also, we had to give up Lauren Market and we lose another decent shooter as well. But overall, I mean... They're kind of thinking about it. It's an upgrade at the at the shooting guard position. I mean, Donovan Mitchell over Colin Sexton. I mean, you're getting a guy who give you 110% on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. I mean, you're getting an overall great basketball player. He's just a great guy, pretty much, and a go-to guy in the clutch moment, pretty much. I mean, we always look for that guy, a guy at the clutch moment, and Donovan Mitchell would be that guy. Just an overall great basketball player. It's a very bittersweet moment uh honestly because at the end of the day i wish we could have kept laurie markin in um obviously like you said you know with colin sexton it was expected that you know if we're getting somebody like donovan mitchell that we are going to be parting ways with sexton but um i mean we got donovan mitchell at the end of the day i feel like we did give up a little too much but for somebody like donovan mitchell's caliber it's 100 percent worth it and quick shout out to Laurie Markkinen and Colin Sexton for everything they've done for Cleveland and the Cavaliers, giving us a little bit of hope when it almost seemed like we had nothing to hope for. So shout out them. Thank you for everything you've done for the Cavs, and I wish you the best of luck in Utah. Yeah, well said there, Pat. Couldn't agree more with what you said, and I've been an advocate in trying to get Mitchell since the beginning of the offseason when he was made available by the Utah Jazz And since we are already a young team, it's not like we are in need of those picks that we gave up. And that's something that bothered me, too. When I hear Cavs analysts or anybody talking about the Cavs saying, oh, yeah, these draft picks, we shouldn't have given up that many. Or saying, oh, yeah, we have all these young players and we have a couple more draft picks and we're in a good spot. If we already have young players, why do we need more of them? Why do we need to keep on drafting this youth? And sure, they could be great assets to our team, but 
we need some veteran presences on our team. And Donovan Mitchell, he's young. He has some veteran presence in the NBA. And I absolutely love this deal for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like I said, I hate that we had to give up Markinen, but this makes the Cavs so much better and a legit contender and not just the Eastern Conference next season, but for the NBA title. Also, I love the report on how excited Mitchell was when he heard the news running around that golf that golf course. <laughs> and it seems like all parties involved are really excited about this transaction. Do you guys think this is the biggest trade in Cavaliers franchise history? I would say so. Definitely yeah, with for the caliber of a player that Donovan Mitchell is. Yes. I also we finally got somebody that's a star that's also had the playoff experience. We're like, yes, the Jazz, they haven't really done anything in the playoffs. We finally get a young star that has some experience in the playoffs. We're like last year, ninety percent of our team had never even seen the court in a playoff uh position. So getting him on the team, having you know him out there with his uh, mindset and everything when it comes time for the playoffs. He's going to want to win. Oh, I just can't. It's fever dream again. You know, absolutely. I, mean, I think the said. it's hard to say, especially since we haven't seen it play out yet. When we see yeah. exactly how this trade goes, then we can really say, oh, yeah, yeah that was the biggest trade in cast yeah. franchise. I, will, I was just texted by somebody, so. Shout out Luke Farmer for reminding me about this, but he also brought up the Kevin Love trade. Yeah, with the Cavs. Yeah, yeah, I was going to bring in the that day. Up. So I would say it could rival that. Honestly, I forgot about the Kevin Love trade because well, the thing with the Kevin Love trade again, we know how that played out. We know how the big three of Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, and LeBron James played out and got that title for us. So yeah. Right now, that might be the biggest trade in franchise history in many people's mind. But for me, I think this one can have a more lasting effect for the Cleveland Cavaliers, knowing that LeBron James isn't on our team and might be leaving in a few years, as we kind of all suspected in his second run for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And right now, maybe it's just recency bias, but I will say that this is the biggest trade in Cavs franchise history. Let's wait and see how it pans out. Yeah. How about that? I, if, I mean, I agree with that take. If we somehow win another title. Then I will say that this which is th- the greatest, which we're going to win another I think it's, title, it's very yeah. possible with the I, roster I that we have. I think it is possible. Yeah. I will Marcus, say. what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with Kevin Love. I was about to mention Larry Nance back in 1989-88. But as of right now, I'm, based on the package of this deal, I would say, yeah, but the outcome, not quite yet. You know, I, I'm already guaranteeing playoffs with this team. It's playoff time in Cleveland once again. I mean, last time, I can't recall the last time we went to the playoffs on LeBron's last season. <laughs> yeah. And that was when, whenever, whenever was that, 2016 or 2017, whenever. But it's playoff time again in Cleveland. I'm guaranteeing. I want, I want the early dibs on playoff tickets already. Let's go. Playoff bound, Cleveland. Let's go. Absolutely. And it's words, insane that we, it only took three years I know. for the Cavs to rebuild. It's finally over. And in the words of Kyle Molinelli, the Cavs are back. And that is all that needs to be said. (laughs) Print it on a shirt, put it on flags, hang it in your house, send it to your loved ones, your friends and family, because the Cavs are going to add another ring and another banner. I mean, I think they were back last season. I think the Cavs are just here. They were just here. We're here. We're here to play. We were back. No, last we season. were we were here last year, but now we're actually back this year. Okay, I got three. That's what I would argue to say. <laughs> I right. already got three Cavs jerseys. I I need me another one. Well, I still need to. I still need to get another Cavs jersey. <laughs> well, now we have new uniforms, so I, I, I need me another one. That's what annoyed me too when they were doing the uniform swaps with Donovan Mitchell. Everybody was using the old ones. It's like this doesn't look good. 
I hate those old uniforms. I'm happy that we got new uniforms. Really? The white ones are okay. The white ones are good. I don't the like red ones, ones are the the wine ones are terrible. Um, yeah, the black ones like, I think will grow on me over time. I mean, they just kind of like practice jerseys, so that's why I'm. Yeah, we'll see how it looks on the court. I, I might get them in the black alternate. Yeah, so. it's going to look great on Donovan Mitchell this oh, year. I completely sure. agree. So, what does this trade mean for the Cavs in the East? You know, there are only two teams in the NBA that currently have three 2022 All Stars, and that's the Warriors and now the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think they can compete against the top teams in the East, in the Bucks, Celtics, Heat, 76ers, maybe the Nets, if they're competitive this year. So, guys, what do you think about the Cavs and their ceiling for what they're going to do in the East this year? I'm thinking fourth seed already. Fourth seed? Oh, fourth man, seed. I'm way more optimistic. I'm, I'm taking I'm taking the Cavs at the second seed this year. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Pat here. I'm, I'm taking us at number right. two, and then I'm predicting the finals already this year. We're going to see another Warriors-Cavs finals. Man, back in the making. Could you imagine? That'd be oh, wild. Right. That okay. would be wild, especially be since wild. I, especially since I don't think anybody in the entire world thought the Cavs would ever make it back to the finals, let alone the playoffs without LeBron James. And now look at us. We don't need LeBron. Now look at us. It's it's we a beautiful don't need thing. LeBron. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. And since the Cavs are so young and have three All Stars from last season, I think they have the biggest upside than any other team, not only in the East but in the NBA. So I think we can compete in the East. I think we'll be at least a top three seed in the Eastern Conference, barring any injuries. And then, who knows, maybe that Eastern Conference title is on our way. We're going to have four All-Stars in our starting lineup by the end of the year. Evan Mobley. Because Evan Mobley's going to be an All-Star this year. That's right. All right, guys, before we end today's segment, we have about 13 minutes left. Let's go to our Hot Mic questions on Twitter, at WZIP Sports. Marcus, the last time you were on Hot Mic, man, you were dancing behind the mic. You were talking about NFL widows, NFL mistresses. It was one of the best segments I've ever been a part of here on Sports Power Talks. Let's get right into it, and we'll start with Jake Myrnagoat, my fan page, as he asks, is Donovan Mitchell being traded to the Cavs bigger than LeBron James coming back to the Cavs? No. no absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely right? not. Listen, it, not. it's, I mean, obviously us getting Donovan Mitchell is going to go down as a top three moment in the offseason for the Cavs, but there will be nothing bigger for the Cavs than LeBron James coming back because that did end up winning the Cavs a championship. Yeah, that was just too good to be true. I remember it. <laughs> yeah, it was like a Cinderella story. I'm a big wrestling fan. It's something that you would book in a wrestling scene where it's not actually real, but you can write the script. Yeah. It was something that didn't feel real. It would be almost as if real. The Undertaker randomly was just like, I'm back. It right. Like, what? Exactly. Type of thing, so. Exactly. And LeBron James just coming back, coming back home, fulfilling his... His promise. I guess his, prof- his promise, his prophecy, whatever word you want to use, and bringing a title to Cleveland. Um, but again, I mean, we don't know how the Donovan Mitchell trade is going to play out, but LeBron James... going to play out with another ring. Is how yeah, there's, there's only one LeBron James, <laughs> though. I think him coming back home is definitely a bigger deal than Donovan Mitchell being traded to the Cavs. And Jeff Longville has a question. A recent University of Akron graduate, he had his farewell show last week, so now we can participate in a different way by asking Hot Mike questions. Another Donovan Mitchell question here. He asks, how will Donovan Mitchell's presence affect Darius Garland's production? Will he take a step back or will it accelerate it? I think it's going to accelerate uh, Darius Garland because we saw that just having Ricky Rubio alone last year was enough to accelerate Darius Garland to an all-star level. I think adding Donovan Mitchell in is just going to, we're going to have the best, uh, one of the best guard duos in the entire league. 
I'd say I'm willing to rival them coming up pretty soon with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson because they are getting up there in age, so eventually they will start regressing. Meanwhile, our guard duo is one of the best in the league already, and they're very young. I think it's just going to accelerate Darius Garland to another level, being able to play with somebody like Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I agree with you. I think his stats might decrease because Donovan Mitchell is going to be our main playmaker. Or, point yeah, of the exactly, exactly. I couldn't have said yeah, it better definitely. there. I mean, I could agree the same thing. I mean, Darius Garland, what I'm seeing is he might be Robbins to uh, Donovan Mitchell's Batman, pretty much. I mean, with Donovan Mitchell being the better player on both sides of the ball, and then Darius Garland being just being an offensive scorer, a high scorer, pretty much, but I mean, Donovan yeah. Mitchell's Spider-Man, though. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, good, yeah, good, yeah. Good reference. But. So then, <laughs> wrong superhero. <laughs> so then if we're going off of that, I'm trying to think. So would it be like, I don't know. So I don't really have a side. I know. <laughs> MJ, maybe? But that's kind no, of awkward. Yeah, yeah. Well, honestly, it's kind of like a Miles Morales Spider-Man type thing. Like, yeah, you got sure. Peter Parker, you got your Miles Morales, you're Peter Parker. There sure. you go. Sure. Why not? Let's run with that. Um, yeah, I think his stats might be a little bit lower because Donovan Mitchell will be the focal point of the offense, but... I think in terms of his just overall production, I think it's going to be better than it ever has been for the Cavaliers oh, next yeah, year. Jeff Longville also has another question. Yet he, he says, with the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams in 2026, do we think the college football postseason will have even more parity than before? Marcus, I'll, I'll go to you first this time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it gives every team from every conference, regardless of the conference, every chance. I mean, it gives every team an equal chance to win it all, pretty much. And more, I mean, more teams in the playoffs, more upsets could happen, more intriguing matchups that you mentioned before. Like, I like to see more of the traditional matchups, like Notre Dame versus Michigan, or either uh, Alabama and Auburn face out twice a year, maybe, or maybe, maybe Michigan or Iowa State twice a year. You know, <laughs> man, that's a wild thought. Yeah, Pat, go ahead. One hundred percent, kind of like what Marcus said. It's gonna. You're just going to have all these wild matchups that people probably won't even think of. Or you're going to see heated rivalries get two games in a year. So, 100%. Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. I don't have much more to add myself. Let's go back to Jake Marinigo here and answer the rest of his questions. He asks, best pizza in Northeast Ohio, not counting chains? Pat? I got to give it to Luigi's. Hot take, Luigi's is trash. Really? Hate it. I've had it once. It's pretty good. I like it. All right, folks. Write this down. Teresa's Pizza. Where's that at? Oh, um, I know there's one in Cuyahoga Falls. I know there's one, like, on the way to Summit Mall, but just remember the name. Teresa's Pizza. And if you also live in somewhere in Cleveland Heights, it's around there, too. But write it down. Teresa's Pizza. The quality of the cheese is just beautiful. It just doesn't slip off pretty much. uh, Fantastic pizza. Fantastic wings, too. All right. Fair enough. Uh, For me, I I just kind of get chains, you know. I'm a big Papa John's fan. That's usually what I get. Um, Really? I mean, eh. I'm not a big, like, local pizza guy. I mean, I've had DP Dough. I went there with Jeff and Bob before. Fire. And I do do enjoy their calzones. So I'll I'll say DP Dough. It's right next to Canal Park where the Akron Oberucks play. I'll say that, but... Honestly, in terms of just pizza in general, I'm, I'm a Papa John's guy, I mean, and I usually I've been just heard, like chain. not chain. I mean, I don't know if Euro is considered a chain, but like you can't go wrong with a 5.99 pizza on a Wednesday from Euro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. You just can't go wrong with that. Oh, you can't beat that. Honestly, Jake Mernigoat also says best soda and worst soda. The best soda, gotta give it to the goat, Dr Pepper. Actually, okay, wait, are we are we keep, are we keeping it with just like 
United States sodas? Are we going to can we go international with this? Because there is one soda that is from Medium. Brazil. You can also find it in the uh, Caribbean uh, Caribbean islands, whichever one you want to say. But it's called Guadana. And I have no idea what you're talking about. Phenomenal. It's a soda that is uh, it's in Brazil. What's it like? I can't really describe the taste. All I know, it's just so good. It's just an experience. It's an experience. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a trip to Jungle Gyms. You can get them when you go to Jungle Gyms down near Cincinnati. So when I go home, I'm gonna make a Jungle Gyms run. I'll pick up some and I'll bring it up here for everyone at the station to try. All right, sounds good. Worst soda. Worst soda. Okay, y'all ever had that ranch soda that they have? Because I tried a sip of it one time. Like they have like bottles of like f- weird flavored sodas, and that was just disgusting. I saw it and I was like, "This is gonna be gross," but like I'm gonna try it. A ranch soda? You're going, yeah. you're going wild on this. <laughs> and it was disgusting. It was vile and I'm, gross. I'm sure it was. And yeah, I already don't like ranch. So I don't know why I bought it, oh, but I did. Pat, you probably buy a lot of things you shouldn't, but it's okay. I mean, not really. The only, okay, other than that and then the Fruit Loops Pop-Tarts. Those are the only two things I've ever bought that I should not have bought. Those guys, those sound kind of good, actually. No? no? All right, well. They just taste like straight chemicals. It tastes like you're eating something from Chernobyl or something. Like you just shouldn't be putting it in your mouth, but right, well. it's just not good. That's expert advice from Pat. Marcus, best and worst soda. Oh, it's okay. So best soda is Pip. It's like Dr. Pepper, but, like, it's spicy. So think of a spicy Dr. Pepper. So it's, it's, to this day, it's my favorite he soda. To drink something <laughs> spicy. <laughs> Mr. Pip is good. Is, I, will, I will fight alongside you. Mr. Pip is good. It's great. Worst soda, Marcus. Worst soda, I got to say Fanta. It's overrated. Oh, what? Just, really? like Sprite, just like Sprite and Coca-Cola. It's overrated. Oh, <laughs> if we're going with man, name this brand, is ridiculous. If, if we're going with, like, your normal, like, generic sodas, and I'm going to say 7-Up is yeah. probably the worst. 7-Up's just the worst Sprite. I, I got so many choices for worst yeah. worst soda. I don't even like cream soda. Cream soda, what? <laughs> that's overrated too. Yeah, what? This is wild. So Sprite, I mean Coca Cola, Fanta, and cream soda, overrated. Dude, my overrated best, choices. My best sodas are what you just said. Like I love Sprite. I love orange soda. But my favorite would probably be Mountain Dew. I don't have it very often because of how unhealthy it is. So I usually go with like Sprite or orange soda. But every now and then, I'll splurge and get a Mountain yeah. Dew. And then my worst soda is Dr. Pepper. Wow. I no hate way. Dr. Pepper. No it way. is why? terrible. Why do you hate it? Why no. do you hate it? I want to elaborate. Why it, do you hate Dr. Pepper so it's much? It's terrible. But it's I, not. I drink it, and I absolutely need to get something else in my mouth right away. You're like my mom, honestly. My mom hates Dr. Pepper because she says it reminds her of cough syrup. That's fair. I just don't like the taste of that, like that hard cherry. No, it's disgusting. See, no, see, I think like Dr. Pepper is good, but then if you get something like a cherry Pepsi, that's just gross. That's actually like a hard cherry flavor. Like Dr. Pepper is not that much of a hard cherry yeah, flavor. Cherry, cherry Dr. Like Dr. Pepper cherry. is a lot better than cherry Pepsi. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like that cherry flavor at all. Whether it's, I'm not a big cherry anything. flavor guy either. But I mean, Dr. Pepper right. is just good, man. No, it's not. Wow, worst soda. <laughs> there's one. There's one wow. soda people not have to. You might call this old people soda, but Verner's. Yes. I really love Verners. Never yes. heard of it. Never heard of it. <laughs> All right, last question here from Jake Murnigo. Do you guys play video games? And if so, what is your favorite game? I do. I play a lot of video games. Um, very rarely do I branch outside of, you know, your generic sports games. Like, I play a lot of 2K, a lot of FIFA, a lot of NHL, whatever. But I will say my favorite game of all time, I have to give it to Ghost of Tsushima. Phenomenal game. Beautiful. I mean... That game was a work of art. Like, a lot of my friends talked about it. I didn't want to try playing it, and then I finally collapsed. I bought the game, 
No regrets. Ghost of Tsushima is the greatest game ever developed. All right, Marcus? I'm a granddad follow addict. <laughs> <laughs> GTA. I'll be on it for hours, the whole day, perhaps. <laughs> I respect that. I can see you riding around on the little... Yeah, rocket, yeah, definitely. Like I'm just, thing. yeah, I'm just <laughs> driving through traffic lights. I'm just driving <laughs> through poles. I'm just running over people. Even if a, <laughs> even if an old lady crosses the street, I'll just run. <laughs> I'm just, I'm like blowing up like police cars with a bazooka or something. Like, <laughs> you're you're one of the guys that like I load into a lobby and I'm like I gotta get out. I gotta I gotta leave the lobby right now. If I load into a GTA lobby, my screen's already shaking. I'm like I'm done. I'm closing the game and I'm just not gonna get on it for the rest of the day. <laughs> Because I know how it's going to go. I swear this is a sports show. <laughs> I, I, I promise it is. Oh, Marcus, I swear. Hot, Hot Mike and Marcus are like the best combination there is, I swear. Uh, for me, I do play video games not much when I'm in school and in the semester. I haven't touched a controller in about two, three weeks since the semester started. Uh, but I do play video games. I enjoy sports games a lot. Uh, Rocket League 2, um, big MLB show fan. My favorite game of all time is Far Cry 4. It was my first Far Cry game I've ever played and that fourth one, I mean it just blew me away. It was kind of my first open world experience of a video game and I just ate that up. I've been a Far Cry fan ever since. Pat, I mean you have a comment here. I do have a comment. I was relaying a message from a friend of mine. Yeah, and the question is what is the best non-Power 5 college rivalry? And why? So, Pat, go ahead and answer. So, the minute I heard one of my friends was like, oh, hey, you should drop this for me, I was like, sure, I got you. So, obviously, for me, it's got to be Kent State and Akron because, let's be honest here, there is no love. There is no love between us at all. The University of Akron and Kent State have always, always hated each other. Uh, I had family that went here, and, you know, he told me he was working for the basketball team. He told me that there would be fights almost breaking out just on the court before the games even started when the two teams would just look at each other. So, I mean, if we're going most heated, it's 100% that all day, every day. I'd even say Kent State-Akron should be up and talked about like top 10 most heated rivalries in all of sports. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Zips, Kent State, all the way. Do you agree with that, Marcus? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I, you should have seen last year. I mean, <laughs> it was just so intense on the basketball court, like, the camp players, like, even wanted to fight the fans. Even the fans wanted some. Like, for we real. were ready. Us in the student section, we were ready to jump over that right. rail and go fight for right. the did, zips. Like, we they, were ready. Did they really spit at y'all? Like, yeah. Oh my. Yeah, they goodness. ran over. They were, you know, giving us rude hand gestures, spitting at us, talking trash. But hey, we got the last laugh because what did Sincere Carey do when it came time for the MAC championship? I'm telling you, nothing. Was- he did nothing. You went to the NBA draft, and then you realize that you're not good enough to be there, so then you go back to Kent State just to lose to your father, Enrique Freeman, again this year. So, mm. Yeah. I have nothing nice to say about Kent State, like, ever. Kent State and Akron is that rivalry, and I agree with you guys (laughs) all the way. It's time for us to go to break. We have three more hot mic questions. Also, Akron Barstool contributing. They've got some questions as well. Absolutely. Shout out Zips Barstool. We'll answer those questions when we come back from break. Also touch on the MLB Player of the Week segment, some prospects making their MLB debut. And we'll talk about the Cleveland Guardians as they haven't been playing well and their road to the postseason is looking harder and harder every single day. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Sports Power Talk. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Sports Talk Show. There is, was, and ever 
will be. This is Sports Power Talk, and we're in the last segment of SPT today. My name is Jake Murren. I'm the host of your show, and I am joined by Pat Weber. Can we, like, argue to put uh, Edwin Diaz's walkout song on this, like, just for sports? Can we do that? We'll have to talk to production director Dan Groen about that, but I will be a fan, yes. I think we should do that. We should we should look into that. And my second analyst on today's show, Marcus Anderson. Go Mariners. What is that? Bro, I'm, I'm wearing my Seattle gear. I gotta <sighs> give a shout out. Oh, <laughs> but not yeah. when they're playing the Guardians, I mean, though. Really? Especially when they've been beating Man, us like so bad. Team in Are they one of your is mistresses? Gas, Are they one of I'm your MLB mistresses? <laughs> You're an Oakland fan. <laughs> You're an A's fan, Marcus. Let we're, that sink in a little bit. We're doing terrible. I gotta have somebody to root for. <laughs> oh my God. I will say that, Marcus, you do have one of the best hats I've ever seen with the throwback Seahawks oh, logo on it, so I, I love it. Thanks. Oh, man. I give him a bit of a pass just for how cool the hat is. Well, guys, we ended last segment in the middle of Hot Mike. We have three more questions as well as some questions from Zips Barstool to get through, and then we'll get right to the MLB conversations here on Sports Power Talk. We'll start with Aaliyah as she asks, what is the best sporting event that you have been to in person? Marcus, go ahead. Oh, best sporting event? Uh, I got to say... Um my first Cavs game, I uh, seen Carmelo, like, <laughs> there was even some Knicks fans, it was like, MVP, MVP. I mean, I grew up on Carmelo, so I'll say that's my favorite sporting event. <laughs> so were you a Knicks fan that night? Yes. No, of course <laughs> you were. And now you want early access to postseason tickets to see for the Cavs. Uh, Pat, correct this. So for me, it has to be, I know you're going to hate this, but it has to be my first and only uh game in Pittsburgh. I don't think we see the Steelers play for Big Ben's last home game. Um, watching him get the win over the Browns, I loved it. My friend got the hint from how much black and yellow was around us to zip up his coat and hide his Nick Chubb jersey <laughs> about halfway through the game. Um, but no, when uh, especially when Renegade came on, I, I know it's a staple. Uh, I know, you know everybody says it's the Steelers song. You have no idea, but when I say that the stadium was actually moving Back and forth with the song. The entire stadium was actually oh, alive and moving when Renegade came on. It was electric. It was a sold-out crowd. And there's there was nothing better. I don't know if I'll be able to. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think I speak for many of our listeners that I don't care. I'll be able to rival that because uh, one of my friends, I know he's listening, so shout-out Keegan. Uh, he's in the works right now trying to get some whiteout tickets in the next few years for him and I to go catch a game. So that will easily take number one in the next few years. 100%. Yeah. It's a Penn State whiteout game. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. You didn't have to elaborate on that Steelers one, but whatever. But I did because yeah. I want you to realize that T.J. Watt had five sacks that night. So I want I want you to, I yeah. want to let that like sink Like I said, in. you don't have to elaborate. And how many done. Miles you, said, you answered the question. You don't have to go on. <laughs> you, ri- you wrote on all the lines. There's no more space. You're done. I can still fill in. Oh, no, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not going to. No, I'm no, not no, going no, to, but I can. I forgot. <laughs> I was saying right behind Zika Gauss my first Cavs game. All right. Well, for me, I have two. One was when the Zips beat Kent State in the MAC tournament for the yes. championship. Last year, I was covering that game for WZIP, but honestly, in, near the end, I mean, we were just fans of the game. We were, were surrounded by Kent State media as well. It was just a great atmosphere. And for us to beat Sincere Carey and the Kent State team after they made that video and everything that was going on, it was just an electric atmosphere at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. 
And then the other one was when I was much younger. I believe it was tw- it was in uh, 2011 when Travis Hafner hit a walk-off grand slam against the Blue Jays. I was at that game, and you're talking about stadiums moving, Pat. That was absolutely a progressive field that was moving. When it, Cleveland baseball player, I almost said Indians, for sure, Indians legend uh, Travis Hafner hit that walk-off grand slam, something I will never forget in that electric atmosphere. And that will do it for that question. Uh, Kelly has a question here. Best sports movie ever? Best sports movie ever? Oh, Major League. 100% Major League for me. I have a Ricky Vaughn jersey. I love Major League. Okay. Marcus? I'll I'll say Remember the Titans. It's such a beautiful movie. If we're going... Okay, if we're going to get two of these, I want to go close second is The Waterboy. (laughs) <laughs> I love that movie. I'm I'm working on getting a Bobby Boucher jersey. Uh, my, like, my, right mama say, my, 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 my mama say, my mama say, it's only Mr. Coach Klein, but my mama says that the gateway is for the devil. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Bobby Boucher came back and run the mud dodge to the bourbon bowl. <laughs> this is hot, Mike, ladies and gentlemen. If you're not entertained, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, so my favorite sports movie. Um, it's kind of weird because I'm. My out of the top three sports, basketball is definitely my least favorite of them. But my favorite sports movie is a basketball movie. It's Coach Carter. I absolutely love that movie. Whenever it's on TV, I always try and tune in to watch it. Absolutely adore Coach Carter as a sports movie. And the last question for Hot Mike before we get to the Zip Sparstool questions, Justin asks, what's an interesting fact or some useless knowledge that you know? This one's a bit of a stumper. Maybe it's mm. the fact that you can impersonate the water boy, Pat. I don't hey, know. I can impersonate him because I was a water boy myself. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, technically. Okay, no. Technically, I was the student manager for the basket, for my high school basketball oh, okay. team. But as, so, as one of the seniors said in his speech, uh, the senior before me, I, I'm just a glorified water boy. <laughs> so that might be why. But uh, use this information. Um, I have so much. I don't really know. <laughs> I, I mean, I just have a bunch of useless sports knowledge. I don't, I don't really, I don't know. All right. I, that's like all I can say. Just have a lot of useless, <clears throat> dumb, like random sports knowledge that just sits in my brain all the time. Marcus, do you have anything off the top of your head? I mean, I mean, if it's anything or anything nothing to do with sports, I mean, yeah. I know that the first state to be established, the first U.S. state to be a U.S. state was Delaware, and the last U.S. and the last place to be a U.S. state was Hawaii, because naval bases was built there, and that's what made Hawaii a U.S. state or 50th state of the United States. You're a big history guy, Marcus. Uh, pretty much, I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to like hop out of this question, but. It's something really specific, and I don't really have anything off the top of my head. That's just some useless knowledge that I know. Let's talk about these Zips Barstool questions. We'll run through these before we get to baseball because we got to talk about that as well. What improvements do these Zips need to make in the upcoming weeks to prepare us for MAC play, or what immediate adjustments before MSU slash Tennessee? Just improving the offensive line a little bit. I mean, just getting them prepared, getting them in the right mindset because, you know, like we talked about earlier, they did not do a good job of blocking whatsoever. And I think another thing that we need to uh, touch on, too, is changing up the playbook a little bit because we're running plays that I don't think DJ Irons is really he's really built for. And now, again, if we still had, like, Zach Gibson, I think we would be comfortable running a lot of these uh, faster plays where, you know, we're sending all of our receivers downfield. But I think for DJ, we just got to stick to the short to 
medium range passes and just work with that. So I think changing some of the plays up for that, something else we got to work on too. Yeah, I agree. The offensive line is our biggest weakness and something we need to immediately fix. Zeb Barstool's second question was yesterday's Notre Dame versus Ohio State game a better game for Notre Dame or worse game for Ohio State? A better game for Notre Dame, I would yeah. say. I would say it's a it's a toss up. I would say it's a better game for Notre Dame because they did hang in there for a long time when everybody thought Ohio State was just going to go in and manhandle them. But at the same time, it did show that Ohio State, they do have to rely very heavily on Jackson Smith and Jigba. And if you take that away from them, they will struggle. So I think it was like a mix of like it exposed the strengths and weaknesses of both teams. So I don't really think there's a defined answer. I think it also says a lot for Ohio State that they found a way to win when everything in their offensive scheme was blown up because of Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like that run game was there for the Buckeyes, especially in the second half with both Henderson and Williams. So I think Ohio State found a way to win. I don't think it was necessarily a bad game for Ohio State. It was their first game of the year going up against a top-five team. I'll say a better game for Notre Dame, especially since it was that you know Buckner, his first start in college football, was against number 2 Ohio State. I don't think he looked terrible, but I was really impressed by that Buckeyes defense. So I'll say a better game for Notre Dame, even though I don't think it was a bad game for the Buckeyes. And his last question, Akron soccer is now 3-0 and and ranked 14th in the nation, talk, taking on Michigan State at home tomorrow. Pat, you alluded to this. Is the soccer team back and ready for another run to the College Cup? 100%. You know, we fell short last year. I don't put that on any of our players. The, uh, the game we played last year was in very, very poor weather. It was freezing rain. You know, I guarantee you Will couldn't feel his hands when he tried to make that save that ultimately ended up, you know, costing us the game. But it is what it is. We should be ranked number one because we're just that good at soccer. Also, don't know how we weren't ranked to start the season, but Bowling Green was. Doesn't make sense to me. But Akron soccer, it's always back every year. We're always going to be great. Gear up. We're going to beat Michigan State. We're going to beat Michigan State again on Saturday. We play them in football. Clean wipe with Michigan State. Go Zips. Fill the hill. Tomorrow, 7. You don't have anything going on. It's a holiday. Come support the Zips. Yeah, absolutely. Fill the hill and support our Akron Zips. I completely agree with you. We're bound for that run. And let's talk about the MLB. Let's talk about my favorite sport, my favorite segment, in baseball and let's start with our player of the week segment each of us picks one mlb player to feature for player of the week regardless of position and could be for accomplishments on or off the field marcus i want to hear from you first Shohei Otani. I would say Aaron Judge or Robbie Ray from the Mariners, but Shohei Otani, the way he was able to outplay Aaron Judge during that series with the Yankees, I mean, just show him out. That was a beautiful shootout. That, that's the kind of thing baseball needs, and that's what Shohei Otani, the best player in all of baseball, regardless of the league, and he's making baseball once again America's pastime, as he was. Okay, Otani as the player of the week for Marcus. Pat, who do you have? I can tell you who's not my player of the week, and that would be the entire pitching staff for the Cleveland Guardians. Because yeah, we'll talk. What about are we that. doing? What, we'll just, what are we doing? But yeah, hold player, off on that. We'll talk okay, about okay. that extensively. Well, my, yeah. my player of the week. It's a personal reason, but it's Edwin Diaz because they actually got Timmy Trumpet to go play his uh, entrance song live. So that was pretty cool. That was, that was pretty cool in my opinion. So I got to give it to. I gotta give it to the Mets organization, honestly, because they they worked that out and it worked well. And then Edwin Diaz went and threw 103 mile an hour fastball, struck somebody out. So you know, love to see it. I love Edwin Diaz. 
Yeah, I mean, I fair think, enough. Yeah. There were better performances out there. Shout out to Spencer Strider as a rookie. I think in his 17th start, recorded 16 strikeouts, a Braves record. Um, not my player of the week. Instead, I'm going to go with Austin Meadows here. Um, he's only played 36 games this season for the Tigers, but he opened up on social media on Friday explaining how difficult of a season it's been for him with injuries, COVID-19, and mental health issues. He explained how he couldn't do it alone, so he shared his story in an attempt to touch at least one person out there and encourage them to reach out for help. I thought this was fitting, especially today, as this marks the beginning of National Suicide Prevention Week. I've had many friends and family struggle with mental health in the past, so if you feel alone, if you feel depressed, talk it out with someone. You can call, text, or chat 988 or text 4HOPE to 741741. If you are struggling, I'm happy that mental health is being talked about. It is in the spotlight, and I thought it was only right to name Austin Meadows my player of the week to put the spotlight on the issue on Sports Power Talk. But now let's talk about the debuts of prospects Gunnar Henderson and Oswald Peraza. Henderson was second on the MLB prospect list. He went two for four in his debut against the Guardians with a single and a home run for his first MLB hit. He's batting 415 at bat so far in his young career. And Peraza, one of the best prospects in the MLB, and Yankee fans have been calling for his promotion to the big leagues for a while now, but Yankees manager Aaron Boone didn't make it seem like he would get a lot of playing time. But the Yankees, man, they're 18-31 and 31 since July 9th. What do you guys make of these call-ups? Both of them are well-deserved. I Especially, I, I like the one with Oswald because, let's be honest here, the Yankees, even though they're still top of the MLB, they are struggling. They need the help, so I do think that them calling them up, is, it, it's, it's good. It's a good move. You can't go wrong with it because you have nothing to lose at this point. You know, you've, you've shown everybody that, hey, we're not that great anymore. So it's like you got to pick it up somewhere. And I think adding somebody that's fired up, ready to play, that's going to spark them. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, that'd be Oswald. This has another dimension to already great teams. It makes an already great team uh, stronger, pretty much, I would say. Uh, another great shortstop for the Yankees, pretty much. And then also for Gunner, I mean, this is uh, this is great for the A's, pretty much. I mean, it's a bright future for this player right here. And we're talking bright futures here for both teams that, were, that are used to be contenders and could be contenders again in the near future. Yeah, I agree with you, Peraza. As long as he sees the field, I think it's a good call-up for the Yankees. Like I said, they have not been playing well since early July, especially since the All-Star break. We'll see what happens in New York. But rapid-fire questions here, gentlemen. I don't want any explanation. I just want a team name here before we get into our Cleveland Guardians. First off, who wins the AL East? Blue Jays. Mm, Blue, whoa. Blue Jays. Okay, okay. Blue uh, Jays. The Yankees yeah. is the correct answer. I have <laughs> I have the Tampa Bay Rays, three different ones. I really wanted to debate that, but this is rapid-fire questions next. Who wins the NL East? Uh, the Mets. Yeah, Mets. Yeah, I have the Mets. I have the Mets as well. Lastly, before we get into our Guardians, who wins the AL Central? The Cleveland Guardians. Guardians. I have the Twins. <laughs> really? I have the Twins. Come on. And we'll talk about why. I mean, I wanted to say the Guardians. Come on, I'm a Guardians you, fan. You still should say the Guardians. Why? Because be- I'm a homer yeah. or because I want to be <laughs> analytically correct and express no, because, my sports because, opinion? Because you're a homer, and that's that's what it should be. Come All right. on. All right, whatever you say. <laughs> whatever you say. But let's talk about the Guardians and mainly the reason why I think the Twins are going to end up taking the AL Central. I wouldn't be surprised if the White Sox do it either, but the Guardians... As Plesak 
and Savali are both on the IR. For Aaron Savali, hits the IR for the second time this season, this time with right forearm inflammation. And Zach Plesak. Zach Plesak hits the IR with a right-hand fracture after punching the mound after giving up a home run in the seventh inning in his last outing. And this is what I really want to talk about, guys, with Zach Plesak. And the main question here is, do we give him another chance? Because for me with Zach Plesak, I think it all started in COVID when he went out with Mike Clevenger, kind of exposed the entire team to COVID, and that was a big controversy back then. So that's kind of strike one for me on Zach Plesak. Strike two, I remember when he took off his jersey aggressively in the locker room and hit his hand on a chair and broke his thumb. He was out for a while with that as well. That's strike two. This this is ridiculous. I understand that you're a competitive player, and I love that aspect to Zach Plesak, but after giving up a home run, you cannot punch the mound. You can't punch the pitcher's mound, and now you're out for the rest of the season as you fractured your pitching hand. And look, it's the beginning of September. We need everybody that we can get right now, and we're slumping this week for a reason. It's both our pitching. It's both our it's our offense as well. Right now, we need all the help we can get. And Zach Plesak... Punching the mound and breaking his hand at this point in the season is not only a detriment to him, but a detriment to the team. For me, this is strike three on Plesak. I'm ready to move on. I want to get your guys' thoughts. Three strikes and you're out. Nothing else you can say. There's no reason for your childish behavior. Yes, you can be frustrated to give up a home run. There's no reason to act out like that at all. You are a professional athlete. Yes, people can be competitive. People, you know, they celebrate. They express, you know, if they're mad or something. But at the end of the day, you have to realize that you are a professional athlete and you should not be doing something like this whatsoever. Yep, time to move on. Time well, to clean up. Yeah, I agree with you guys. He was involved in that COVID incident with Clevenger, obviously broke his thumb on that chair, and now this. I think it's time to move on after this season, and hopefully a guy like Daniel Espino will be ready to go in the majors next year. So how does this affect the guards' chances in the AL Central? Well, Playsack and Savali are out, and Xavion Curry and Kirk McCarty are added to the roster. Curry is 0-1. He pitched last night, has a 5.79 ERA and 9.1 innings pitched this season. And McCarty, not much better. He's 2-2, 5.55 ERA and 24.1 innings pitched this year. So that's why I said it. I think the Twins or White Sox could be primed right now to win the division, which means the Guardians would miss the postseason. What do you guys think about that? I can see it happening because, like, like you said, we're struggling right now. We need everybody. We need all hands on deck right now. We're struggling. We're in a slump, and <clears throat> losing Polisak and Savali that just doesn't help whatsoever. And we're calling guys up where it's like, yes, they deserve to be in this position, but we're just kind of throwing them out there right now because we don't have anybody else to go to, and we can't just throw these guys out here in games where we need to be winning, where we shouldn't really have them pitching. We need to develop them and not just throw them out there and need to win situations but that's what we're doing is we can't afford to do anything else so i mean it it hurts i still think we can manage to squeak out number one but it's gonna be it's gonna be hard these next few weeks yeah i mean i mean honestly truly this division right here is up for grabs i mean these three front runners have been struggling all year i mean this is equivalent to the nfl's nfc east i'll say i mean it's that it's that bad of a division but i mean it's up for grabs three these three teams are sliding pretty much. I mean, it's not getting into a group, but either way, whoever wins this division is just already a first-round exit, pretty much. So, But well, the Guardians could pull off. The Twins are a powerful offense, or the White Sox, and chances are low, chances are galaxies away, but they could pull off. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens when it actually comes to the postseason. But right now, I don't like the Guardians' chances. And those results and this impact has been shown on the field this week against the Orioles and Seattle. Let's talk about this Mariners series. We lost 6-1 to on Friday. Our offense was nearly shut out for the third game in a row, and our only run was able to score because of an error by Seattle. Cody Morris was our starting pitcher. He pitched two innings, had four hits against him, three runs, two earned runs, gave up two walks, and only had three strikeouts in that game. I mean, before we get to last night's game, do you have anything for me on Friday's performance? Just tough. I mean, it our weaknesses are being exposed right now, and teams are going to take advantage of that, and we can't do anything to stop the bleeding right now. Yeah, it, it was horrible. I mean, allowing too many hits early and then not able to get any hits, not being able to get their man on the mounds on the bases pretty much. I mean, overall, a terrible performance on both sides pretty much, and hopefully they get something together because it's getting that close to late in the season. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And let's talk about last night's loss four to zero before we break down the game we have a special appearance in studio by lana she is training this morning with us for sports power talk but lana i understand that you were at last night's game yes i was so this is me lana um and last night i was at the guardians game and it was stephen kwan night so for those who don't know i'm an official honorary member of the stephen kwan fan club i got my signed membership card and everything so it was really nice to see him again and additionally, the Guardians were giving uh, Quan t-shirts, which I am wearing right now. Fun little fact. And Fran Mel Reyes bobbleheads at the game. I know Fran Mel Reyes is no longer on the team, but it was still fun that they were giving away those cute little prizes. So um, really fun night, even though they unfortunately lost. Saw some beautiful fireworks as well. I just wish the Guardians would have won. Yeah, love to hear it. And before uh, you go away here, Stephen Quan, Rookie of the Year, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, Hands absolutely. down, facts, we all know. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Lana. Thank you. And that is your first appearance on Sports Power Talk. So you love to hear that as well. And last night we did lose four to zero. Xavion uh, Curry was our starting pitcher, gave up three earned runs in 4.1 innings of work, had zero strikeouts in the game as well. Ty France hit a home run in the first inning and two runs scored via walk, something you definitely don't want to see. And then Robbie Ray, electric last night, zero earned runs in six innings pitched with three strikeouts. And again, the Guardians had more hits than the Mariners, but they have been shut out in three of their last four in the last time that Cleveland scored one run over a four-game stretch was in July of 1961. A historic bad run for the Guardians. What do you guys think about last night's game? Again, we can't stop the bleeding. We're giving up the momentum early on in the game, and then we just can't can't bring it back. And it's just rough to watch because it's like we were top. We were quite a few games in first, and now we look and we're only one game in first now. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better from here on out. Not only that, we're one game ahead of the Twins for first, but then the White Sox are right two games there. They're only two games. So it's we if we don't shape up, we're going to fall to third. And I don't want to see that happening as we're top again for the first time in a few years. I want to see us keep it. I want to see us try to make another postseason appearance. But if things keep crumbling the way that they're going, I don't think we're going to see the Guardians in the postseason yet. Yeah, yeah. they're they're limping right now, pretty much. And last night's show, like I said, early hits allowed so many runs, allowed early, too early, I'll say. I mean, they're just limping. I mean, they all be lucky that they're playing such a bad division, the AL Central. So hopefully they, they can stay there. 
knowing how the other two teams are doing, they're not doing as much better as they are. So hopefully they're able to stay there by the end of the regular season. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think you said it perfectly, Pat. And today, the Twins and White Sox cap off their three-game weekend series. And the White Sox have been doing us a favor by beating the Twins, so we're still in first in the AL Central. But as we said, you know the White Sox are right there in the race now, too. It's Cal Quantrill and George Kirby taking the mound for both teams. Guys, who wins today? Hopefully us. But who do you I, think is going to win? The Mariners. Truthfully, I think the Mariners are going to sweep us, but... I'm holding out hope that we can get it done today. Yeah, Mariners. I mean, there's nothing they could do with the Mariners. I mean, they're hot right now. I mean, they just rise into the top pretty much. You want me to be a homer, Pat? You want me to be a homer? Please. Here For I am. once, be, be a homer, please. Cal please, Quantrill please. has been reliable all year, and I think it's time for our offense to wake up. Our offense is due, so I think the guards will take it here. Yes. At home, at Progressive yes. Field. And cling on to that slight, slight AL Central Division lead. Our upcoming week, we play Kansas City on the road. They're 54 and 80. We're 6 and 4 against the Royals this season. And then a huge weekend series next week against the Minnesota Twins in Minnesota. We are 6 and 5 against the Twins this season. That is a ginormous weekend series against the Twins to. In you know that middle of September area where we're going down the rest of the season trying to get that AL division. All right, well that will do it for today's show in the first edition of Sports Power Talk in September. We talked about so much that it would be easier to list the things we didn't talk about. Of course, though, we talked about our one and zero Akron Zips. The return of college football, the latest in the NFL, the Cavs, Donovan Mitchell trade, answered your questions in Hot Mike, and so much more. Any last thoughts on today's show, gentlemen, before we head on out of here? Go Zips. Fill the Hill, as always. Again, I've reiterated it time and time again. We do play Michigan State tomorrow here at the University of Akron at 7. Come out, fill the Hill. We're the best soccer team in the nation. Don't forget it. And just shout out my family listening. Shout out my little cousin, Max, returning one. Happy birthday, little dude. <laughs> Love Happy seeing you birthday. guys. Love seeing you guys, and thanks for all the support and everything you do. NFL kickoff is on the way. First game Thursday, Bills and Rams. Can't wait. Also, Cavs fans, playoffs coming to Cleveland. Can't wait. Get ready. You already know, Cavs fans. Even though you're a Knicks yeah, fan right. in your first <laughs> Cavs game. Let's go. Okay, that was just I, the can, first game. I can only respect it because it is Carmelo Anthony, so I, I, I can respect it. Oh, it's I was saying, right behind Zika Gauskas, too. So It's ridiculous. <laughs> For me, honestly, this couldn't have been a better week in sports. Of course, the Guardians are going through some things right now, but the Zips are 1-0. The Cavs acquired Donovan Mitchell, and the college football playoff is going to expand, which you love to see. It doesn't get much better than that. If you're looking for the best sports podcast out there, look no further than WZIP Sports. SBT Rewind and SBT Overtime are available now on all podcasting platforms. And we have episodes that include our fantasy football draft and predictions for tonight's AEW all-out card in Chicago. If you haven't noticed, our Twitter page is a whole lot more active now that the semester has started here at the University of Akron. So follow us at WZIP Sports, and you can check out that video of Alex Henry and I's initial reaction to the Donovan Mitchell news. I believe it's time to get on out of here, gentlemen. My name is Jake Murren, and joining me on today's show were Patrick Weber, Marcus Anderson. As always, be kind. We'll see you next week, same time and place for more Sports Power Talk.